This is Unfilter, episode 216, for December 7th, 2016. Fake news, real gunfire. A North Carolina man arrested in a D.C. pizza shop after brandishing a gun, telling police he was there to investigate a conspiracy theory called Pizzagate. Everybody, welcome to your Pizza Gate headquarters. This is Unfiltered, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about the news you shouldn't be watching. Chase, My name is Chris, Chase. I'm Chase. That's Chris. Chase. Remember, it was Pizza Gate podcast platform. We wanted to alliterate. We talked about this in the production meeting this that's, morning. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yes, I, I I missed that meeting. I was too busy. Uh, having my withdrawal symptoms and discussing fake news fake news <laughs> <laughs> which is by, by the way after last week's show full full disclosure everybody chris and i we, we talk outside of the show dude are you gonna let them know that yes they should know <sighs> now they, there's they now, deserve to know now does hadia know by the way uh, well i haven't really thought of she a way to break it to her no i know she should know anyway we were, you know, we exchanged uh, things back and forth, and we would share <laughs> fake news last week. We were sharing <laughs> fake news back and forth. We're like, that was fun. Chris is like, fake news, here's a clip. And then I was like, hey, Chris, fake news, here's a clip. That was good. Yeah, Too was bad it was good. on the real regular news networks. Yeah, those were that was real weird. news. So, uh, Mr. Chase, we have yes, much to discuss today. We do? So, the original, the original father of the cyber segment, Mr. Snowden makes yes. an appearance in our cyber segment. I call him Eddie. He's a good friend of mine. I don't know if you. Know oh yeah, that. yeah, you're good buddy. Yeah. And then we're gonna get into the terror discussions, mostly with Russia stuff. And then if you've noticed, perhaps oil prices are starting to go up. The gas pump prices. Well, isn't that because OPEC decided we're gonna get gonna into dial that? that down? Yep, yeah. yep, yep. And then a little Dakota pipeline follow up, and then some fake news discussion, which surprisingly will lead us right into PizzaGate. Have you heard of Pizzagate? Does that ring a bell at all? All I know about Pizzagate is there's a pizza involved somewhere, and that makes me hungry. Yeah, I am. I, you know what? I could go for like a really good pizza, like yeah. a round. I like. Round I was going to say round table. I love the Italian garlic yeah. supreme is the best yeah. pizza, uh, the best one they have. The round, round table pizza is really good. Papa Murphy's is nice if you just want to cook something while you're working. We here. don't have one in town, unfortunately. No, we don't. No. Uh, then we're going to get into some politics stuff, and we'll end it all on a high note. But all let's right. start with the Snowden goodness. He was interviewed. I'm not quite sure if this was for Yahoo News because it's Katie Couric. Oh, it's, for, that's Yahoo. But then it's being featured on Nightline on ABC. Well, maybe they have a, like a code share agreement or something like that. They're doing like a like a like well, a wife swap, over. like a wife swap kind of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it sounds like. I'm not touching that. <laughs> Just play the clip. All right, all right, okay. Here we go. Interview with one Edward Snowden, who is both revered uh-huh. and reviled for spilling America's top secrets. Yahoo Global News anchor Katie Couric traveled to Russia, where Snowden is hiding in plain sight. Do you think U.S. officials know where you live? Know where you are? I think they have a general idea. Uh, at this point, you know, uh, after three years, if they can't figure it out, uh, they're probably not doing their job very well. This mild mannered third. <laughs> Boy, that's just going to piss them off, huh? Now they're going to be watching his every move. Like, yeah. Yeah, like they're not already. <laughs> they're like sucker. Yeah. So then Katie Couric's guy can go into the overproduced uh, VO. But then there's going to be a good Snowden quote here I'll get to. The three-year-old is arguably America. I'll, I'll back it up because uh, his age is probably worth knowing. Three-year-old is. Oh, 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 man. It's teasing me, Chase. Dude. I know. A three-year-old. That's messed up, man. <laughs> 
Mild-mannered 33-year-old is arguing wait, 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 America's wait. 33. most 33. wanted fugitive, NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden. Breaking new details on that whistleblower who leaked top-secret documents faces almost certain criminal prosecution. For more than three years, he's been hiding in plain sight here in the Russian capital. Oots, Can you oots. walk around freely the streets of Moscow and not be I have recognized? a free pass. I walked here. Are you ever recognized? If I walk out on the street, people have no idea who I am. If I walk into a computer store, everyone in the store will immediately recognize me. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? Now, is this a Circuit City he's going yeah, right, into or Best Buy? Yeah, Russian Circuit City. Yes. Uh, so then he makes – there's the whole interview is in the supporter sync, but he makes a interesting comparison. And I want to get your take on it. He All says, right. hey, Katie – what I did was no worse than what Petraeus did. Perhaps the best known case in recent history here is General Petraeus. Fast moving developments this evening after the stunning resignation of General David Petraeus. And the consequences of Dave Petraeus's infidelity are astonishing. Uh, who shared information that was far more highly classified. Far more highly classified. Far more. Well, uh, all right, Ed, listen, buddy. Bring it in. We need to talk here. Yeah, go ahead, Chase. Um, listen, don't need to dramatize this anymore, okay? I he mean, likes to talk in low voices. I mean, you and don't have to be dramatic. I mean, just just talk about it. Just, no, just don't do it. Just you know, don't do it. I like I like Ed. I really will never be able to fully uh, probably even come close to speaking towards how much I appreciate what he's done for the station. However, <clears throat> a couple things are starting to bug me. He's wearing these same phony baloney glasses he's been wearing since he ran away. But in reality, he doesn't even wear these glasses anymore. So he's per- he's perpetrating this, this look that's phony. I don't. That's something about that makes me uncomfortable. And then the other thing I'm not really a big fan of is how he oscillates his voice throughout this entire interview. It sounds like he's narrating and trying to build a character that I am uncomfortable with. I'll have to leave it to you to listen. But anyways, he says, yeah, Petraeus did worse stuff. Far more highly classified than I ever did with journalists. And he shared this information not with the public for their benefit, Fair. but with his lover. They charged him with a misdemeanor. Only four years after his scandal broke, retired General David Petraeus is now being considered to serve in the Trump cabinet as Secretary of State. All right. So it's a fair criticism, though. I mean, that is an interesting point he's being made. But it's also interesting that Ed is jumping on every opportunity to promote his position. Like, this is kind of like he's being considered. Well, so is Mitt Romney. A lot of people are being considered. Uh, Chris, uh, breaking news here in yeah. the Jupiter Broadcasting Newsroom. Oh, right here? Uh, Wait, yeah, I, yeah. Okay, well, hold on, Chase. Oh, well, I, I mean, it's it's just... No, I got it. Our Fox News alert, uh, by the way, Chris Fisher is also on the list. Oh, I know. I know. And you know what? When are you I going can, to the Trump Tower? I got to tell you what. My plan, it's going to be huge. However, <laughs> it does involve in get, invading Canada. <laughs> Yeah. The War of 1812 returns. I huh? need somewhere to put all those Syrian refugees. Uh, hide so, it in maple syrup. There is a there is one media outlet that is finally giving us some decent audio that won't get us pulled down from YouTube. Oh, great. Oh. About the Snoopers Charter. Okay. Meanwhile, the British government is taking it a step further by allowing its spying agencies to hack into people's computers without their knowledge. It's also requiring internet service providers to keep a record of every internet user's browsing history for one year so government agencies can have access to it. For more on how the so-called Snoopers Charter sailed right through the British Parliament, here's Laura Smith. Are you familiar with this? This is being called uh, like the worst, 
worst spying bill ever. And it facilitates access to ISP yeah. records and, and I couldn't believe data this. records How is and this? hacking. I mean, it is it – is, it has – there are whiffs of this that Feinstein tried to push through a little while ago, and we freaked out here in the States. Meanwhile, this just went sailing so, right so, through. So is this – this is law now, or is this still going through the – Law. Yeah. So, in the name of counter-terrorism, privacy in the UK is now dead. That's what internet rights groups are saying, as the Investigatory Powers Act, better known as the Snoopers Charter... When do we stop calling it internet's rights people and just start saying people who are concerned about human issues and human rights? I know, huh? comes into law this week. What the law does is it forces internet service providers to store the websites you visit for a year. ISPs have to make data available on demand and government security services can force phone companies to hack into people's handsets and tablets. Thanks to Edward Snowden, we know that all this was pretty much happening anyway, but it'll now be legal for a huge variety of government departments to have access to your web history, from the police and secret services to more unlikely people like the Food Standards Agency and the Taxman. Supporters of the legislation say it's essential for keeping the UK secure. So if I put myself in their shoes and I think, well, what if I was researching tax avoidance schemes for Unfilter? Or what if I was researching ways for people to avoid paying Obamacare penalties right. to report on this show? And yeah. then the IRS had access to this data, and if they ever wanted to build a case about me, they could cite these searches I, and this I, web history. I, what I want to know is, to be to be fair, you know, when the CISPA was kind of pushing through the first time around here, a lot of people got knowledgeable and involved and was able to kind of push back to the policymakers to not do it and not make it happen, and it ended up not happening. Why didn't that same kind of thing occur in the UK? Or is, I there, don't know. is there a trigger process where uh, the citizens can go ahead and go to their MPs and say, hey, we don't want this? I, I would really like – I would like to hear what the audience thinks about it because I, I really – I can't put my head around why this kind of thing blows up and it becomes everything where – any it becomes – not Chase. It's not just what the people in the US are talking about, but all of the people I correspond with from across the pond are also discussing. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's really kind of a strange thing why these issues get so much more attention and why they slide through like a greased turd in the UK. And, and that's the thing, right? I, I thought – I mean even though our political systems are different uh, – I mean theirs is so old it's not even funny. But that being said – there's still a, a trigger of checks and balances and, and, and a way uh, to, you know, get people involved. Now, I have two thoughts. Yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> I think my first thought is there's probably a lack of – I guess there's just a, an overall sort of apathy because a lot of this was already happening anyways. And this just sort of codifies a legal structure around what was already taking place. And so much like there's sort of an apathy here in the U.S., Imagine if law – I guess it's sort of like, well, oh, I, I still think if law were to pass that made, that made it implicitly legal, what the, what the NSA was doing, implicitly legal to monitor a metadata of U.S. citizens like they're doing now, if there was law and real legislature that just did that, I feel like that would create a huge uproar. But in, in, over there, 
there seems to be just sort of an apathy about it. It's already happening. There's cameras. It's like Is there, we're talking yeah, about like yeah, there's cameras, the right? Cam- you're right. It's, there's yeah. cameras. Out. It's already a thing. And if you have nothing to hide, what's the problem? Right. Exactly. And it's it's the whole uh, frog syndrome, right? In the boiling pot of hot, you know water, where I you, also, know, you slowly get used to it. And, I think that's no it. Deal. And I also think there is in the states. I think there is more of a cultural distrust of our government than over there. I could be wrong on that too. So I, I'm totally open to corrections by the audience. So has I mean, obviously, I mean, has the BBC or, or uh, Sky or anybody over there gone out and talked to the public and see what they think? <laughs> I don't know. There is some coverage, but. There's nothing that I could really use on the show. And there's, uh, there's, there is a problem here. So we talked about CISPA, right? right. Back, coming back to the States for a moment. Yeah. And so in some ways, what's happening instead is almost worse because now there was, there was this really, really crazy Supreme Court decision that was getting blocked that we talked about on TechSnap months ago. And it's this, it's this Supreme Court decision that says that the FBI can go after and hack anyone that they suspect – and the criteria that they can use to hack into their computers and monitor them can be things as simple as they've used a VPN or a Tor, connect a node, to hide their origin. Or they think they might already have malware on their system. So these are criteria which the FBI was trying to get. To say, look, if they are trying to hide who they are, if they're using services to obstruct their identity, or we have detected malware on their system, this is grounds for us to hack into their computer and monitor them. And obviously this was ridiculous. It was going to be blocked. There was no way this was going to go through. This is too much leeway for the FBI. Eh, It turns out. FBI has been given current block to hack victims of cyber crimes. Congress failed to block the controversial Rule 41 proposal in its final hours yesterday. RT's oh. Simone Del Rosario reports on how security for hundreds of thousands of people could be compromised. Three times Wednesday, a group of bipartisan senators tried to keep an amendment to Rule 41 from going through on December 1st. And three times, they failed. The new change to Rule 41 will regularly allow judges to issue search warrants to hack into computers outside that judge's jurisdiction. A single search warrant can now serve to hack into numerous computers in multiple jurisdictions. So a judge in Texas can issue a single warrant to the FBI to hack into computers in California, Alaska, New York, even beyond our country's borders. This expanded authority will likely be used to investigate botnets where thousands or even millions of private computers are infected with malicious software. The government now has the ability to hack the victim's computers in any jurisdiction, even abroad, to investigate the botnet. And they can do it without your knowledge or consent. The change to Rule 41 went through without congressional approval. It was approved by the Supreme Court. But Congress could have stopped it. Democratic Senator Ron Wyden was leading that charge. After his failed last-ditch efforts, he said, By sitting here and doing nothing, the Senate has given consent to this expansion of government hacking and surveillance. Law-abiding Americans are going to ask, what were you guys thinking when the FBI starts hacking victims of a botnet hack? Oh. Oh. Yikes. So our intelligence agencies and even uh, law enforcement agencies run amok. So why don't we do a little investigation, Chase? All right, Chris. There's there's something going on here. The the cyber segment, it has – 
recently over the last six months or so, it has been it has been an example of people using computers to um, hide their wrongdoings. Maybe it's the Clinton campaign. It's been used to scare people into uh, where to shop or where not to shop. It's been all kind. It's been twisted and perverted, and it seems like it's like just this buzz term that you can use to scare people. Oh, cyber hackers! Oh, right. Russia! But the, below it, you can tell there is like there's some money here. The people there's like a gold mine. Here. Oh yeah, yeah. And there is a great. There's just it's just a real gem. There are some people uh, that are uh, putting together this entire report for uh, President Trump. They've already reported to Obama, and now they're putting together a report for Trump for him to consider putting together his administration. And it's about considering how important cyber is. And they're doing this research about cyber and about protecting America's cyber infrastructure. And when you get into this report, you discover that what they're pitching is they are trying to they are trying to tell the Trump administration that investing in cyber would be like investing in the infrastructure back when we created the freeways to create jobs. <laughs> and that if we spend enough money on cyber, we'll create I, 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 it's there's there's this is wow. If there was ever a show me the money segment. Money. Oh my gosh. Yeah, listen to how we get into it here. Wow. Take an in-depth look at cybersecurity. A presidential commission has come up with several recommendations, many actually, to make the government's computers more secure. The president and the president-elect have both indicated in recent weeks they see the importance. Our social security system still runs on uh, a, a COBOL platform that dates back to the 60s. Okay. Right. Is that a bad thing? Does it work? It seems like if it if it's if it dates back to the sixties, that means it's literally been working since the sixties. Maybe you can't find parts for it anymore. I mean that does happen. Yeah, but then you get contracts with IBM, especially big ones. They'll keep making it. Uh, our IRS systems uh, are archaic. Well, that's perhaps a good thing because now they're not connected to the internet and they're not getting hacked. Uh, as with uh, a whole host of other agencies that are consistently collecting uh, data on every American. Yikes. I actually, I just, I don't mean to make fun here, but I, I just fundamentally disagree with just because it's old, it's broken. Having came, coming from the banking industry, I can tell you there are systems in place from the 80s that, well, yes, that's fun. To, oh, gosh, it's from the 80s. Oh, that's fun. Uh, in reality, they have incredible service contracts, and the stability is unprecedented. I, I have a, I, I had a system that uh, I was tangentially responsible for that had many, many drives maintained by IBM. And when I arrived at work that day, there was already an IBM rep there with the part in hand because the drive had failed at night. IBM dispatched that person during the middle of the night to be there when our doors opened with the drive in hand to install it and get it back up and running. And yeah. This was a quaint system from the 1980s, but tell me about your PC that can get that gets that level of service right now. I mean, they were there waiting at the door in in a December morning for us to get there so they could get the system replaced, and it was just a drive in an array that was continuing to run with redundancy. That's so, pretty good. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, it's fun to say, oh, it's from the 60s. Oh, it's from the 80s. That's that's fun. That's good. That's fun. But in reality, if it's been working for that long, why replace it? 
especially if you have standardized procedures and processes and support infrastructure in place. Uh, Data on every American. If we're going to really secure those in a serious way, then we need to upgrade them. One of the very first things I will do is to order a thorough review of our cyber defenses and weaknesses. We have very substantial weaknesses, including all vital infrastructure. Here to discuss this tonight, Sam Palmazano, Vice Chairman of the Commission and former President and CEO of IBM. Kirsten Tan, the Commission Executive Director. Thank you so much for being here. Now, I normally would cut a clip off here at this point. Yeah. Because that's the, that's the meat. Yeah. But then, listening to them talk and listening to them oh, understand it's all about the money. Sam, explain this for folks. Um, what is required and what you all are trying to yeah. do. Well, Brett, thank you. Uh, basically, what we're trying to do is make recommendations to the president-elect as well. We've been to see the current president with him last week on what's required to make this infrastructure called the Internet, which is really the backbone of the information age, more secure, more resilient, to protect both our economic interests as well as our society, their privacy, as well as any other potential uh, dangers that could arise as a result of a hack to the Internet. And there's an upside. I mean, it's a, it's a, essentially a giant infrastructure project. Correct. If you think about it, I mean, the way I like to think about it, it's like post-World War II, President Eisenhower, when he created the interstate highway system, which was great for interstate commerce, which oh, actually there it is. the economy. In today's world, that really is the infrastructure of the information age. It's the networks, it's the data centers, it's all those things, it's the devices we use and become familiar with. There are also going to be devices in our homes, like appliances and thermostats and cameras for security systems. So it's all about how do we make this environment more secure. And then he goes on to say that we just need to spend money like it's an infrastructure project. Just about over. Now, there's an economic expansion element to this because companies will invest, uh, opportunities will be created, VCs will fund future initiatives, jobs are going to be created. But there is a risk. And I think what both presidents are referring to is one, President Obama, the risk to his infrastructure, his application set, and President-elect Trump to the future areas that he talked about, the importance of cybersecurity. So, Kirsten, this will happen. So he goes on to say that uh, one of the things that he He's figured out because he's he comes from IBM is this is a report uh, based on he bases this on a study that they give to elect Trump, President elect Trump. They give him a study uh, based on the uh, research he did while he was employed at IBM. And he's got a great idea. He says you could make back all of the money you're going to spend on cyber by doing one thing that we thought about doing on IBM but never got around to. Here's what all you got to do. You spend the money up front. It's a jobs program. It's an infrastructure infrastructure program. And then you can make it back in 10 years by reducing all these data centers that you have all over the country for all these government services and consolidate to just a couple in D.C. <laughs> and he goes on to say, then he first he says, you will save hundreds of billions of dollars. And then Brett says hundreds of billions. And then he says tens of billions. And then he says, well, the IBM study said it would be a few billion, like three billion. <laughs> You can't even believe what they say if they keep changing the numbers. But but on its face, the fact that this guy is supposed to be a cyber expert and then recommends that you consolidate all your infrastructure to a single data center. A single point of failure. Talk about giving like 
just an unbelievable. And this is how you're going to make the this is how you're going to make the investment back on the new cyber infrastructure. And then when they need to re-expand their infrastructure, then they make money again. The clip is good too because, it, and this is all in the supporter sync. It goes on to talk about how well, how are you going to actually get this done? Because it's a big it's a big bureaucracy, and everybody wants money. He says, well. We just have to make our case, and we have to get somebody in the administration that believes us, and then we'll start getting the money come to us. And it's it's all about the money, all about the money, money, money. <sighs> Cyber is gonna it's gonna be interesting to see where this all goes, and uh, it's definitely gonna be clip worthy for the next couple. Oh of years. boy, can't Let's wait for that. Shift gears to Russia, and uh, this I, well, uh, this is a real thing. So China, China has been the. Um, the underreported element in the situation in Syria. China is on the side of Assad and Russia. China and Iran don't get talked about as much, their involvement in Syria. And that's one of the reasons why the Assad, quote-unquote, regime is seeing so much success right now. However, China is also playing at the more global level, the more strategic level, and they're getting involved in really key moments in the UN. And this clip uh, gives us a little insight. Welcome back to the news on RT America. The United Nations Security Council voted down a resolution calling for a seven-day ceasefire in Syria. So I want to make sure that's clear. They voted down a ceasefire resolution. We don't want a ceasefire. Russia and China are two of the countries opposing it. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov says that the resolution ran counter to a solution the United States and Russia are trying to agree on for Aleppo. RT's Caleb Maupin has more from New York tonight. Well, there was a joint resolution that was put forward by Egypt, Spain, and uh, New Zealand. And the resolution called for a seven-day ceasefire in the fighting in Aleppo. It's funny how uh, they want to do a ceasefire when uh, Assad and Russia are winning. Now, the resolution was defeated when Russia and China voted it down. Voted- so China comes in, not getting a lot of press coverage, not getting a lot of attention, and plays the important tiebreaker heavy in these major Security Council concessions. And so China isn't, I mean, I don't, I can't, I can't, I couldn't come sit here and tell you how, how they're involved on the ground in Syria. Right. But I can tell you how they're involved here at this level. And it's critical to Russia's overall goals. No. Um, and they were joined by Venezuela in doing so. Now, uh, Russian Ambassador Vitaly Cherkin has made clear that the reason uh, that this, this, this idea of a ceasefire is not a good idea is because these are not real ceasefires. The rebels, uh, the anti government fighters, the terrorists don't recognize these ceasefires. And- it never plays well to be anti-ceasefire, though. No. That's never... It doesn't uh, look good. <laughs> it's just like, what, you want to continue the violence? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of Russia and uh, an oil-heavy economy, let's talk about OPEC and their deal to cut production. Well, OPEC members have agreed to officially cut oil production by 1.2 million barrels oh. per day. It's the first such agreement in nearly a decade. We had made great success today with the cooperation and understanding of all member countries they said they weren't going to do this they weren't going to they weren't going to cut production so what do you think nudged them in that direction 
uh, I think they thought somebody would budge. I'm not sure. Oil markets and, well, frankly, um, many people expected uh, this uh, cut to be established, but uh, there were a lot of skeptics as well because earlier OPEC made promises to reduce production, but they never really uh, went through to the actual decision due to some massive differences between some of OPEC's uh, key uh, states. I don't feel like 1.2 million barrels, though, is like... I was just thinking that. I don't feel like that's a lot. Yeah, but it's still interesting, and the prices do seem to be going up a little well, bit. Well, any, anytime OPEC makes a, makes an adjustment either yeah. way, yeah. people kind of freak out, yeah. and so, yeah, they'll change, but... Yeah, oil prices are so super complex. Yeah, they'll stabilize. Mm-hmm. So you want to talk about the Dakota Access Pipeline? We should. We, we, we really should. Should, we, because there's been some developments in that the, arena. Had, do you want to take a moment and do the uh, do the Patreon thing, or do you want to do the Dakota Pipeline first? Uh, actually, let's do the Patreon thing right now. All right, let's, let's do talk it. About so, patreon.com slash unfilters, where you go to keep this show on the air. If you like what we talk about, or if you like the idea of a show that talks about these things and is willing to uh, go into territory, <laughs> when we get to Pizzagate. Well, when we go into territories that no pizza company would ever want to touch. Oh, then uh, you really, you really yes. got to realize... That's that's the, the the freaking golden thing about crowdfunding is there's not like a, a like a catchy title we have to come up no. with that gets the clicks. We don't have to come up with these great sponsorship tie-ins. Now we do come up with the catchy titles just because sometimes we do want to attract more people and let people know that we're here. Yeah, I don't think they're nearly as clickbaity as they could be. That's true. If you think about like some of the clickbaity titles that are out there. That's true. Uh, and Chris wait. undresses at the beach. You know well, that kind of. That's thing. in the vlog. Yeah. Uh, five hundred and four patrons. I would love to see that get to five twenty. Wouldn't you love to see that get to five twenty? You that, think I, we can get sixteen more? I think so. By by when? I don't know. Maybe for Christmas. You want you want five hundred twenty for Christmas, Chris? I kind of do. You want to sit on my lap? Tell me about it. A little bit. All right. As long as if we get to five hundred and twenty, <laughs> I'll take you out to steak and sit on your lap. All right. Wait, wait, wait. We should make this a challenge. Here's what we should do. If, if, to, if we get to five twenty, Chris out, sits on my lap no, if we in go public. To, here's what I think on we, video at, at the steak restaurant. <laughs> yes. That's when we do it. All right. We'll go to the steak restaurant. We'll All take right. the selfie right. on your lap. We'll post so, it for the patrons. So, so if we get to five twenty by Christmas, yeah. by, by, by December twenty fifth, yeah, we will go. To have steak, as promised, because I knew that Hillary would yeah. not win. Yeah. And uh, Chris will sit on my lap yeah. and uh, tell me that he wants 520 for Christmas. And I don't I'll know what say, that means, but okay. okay. All right. Well, that's close. <laughs> okay. Patreon.com slash unfilter. We yes. have different levels there. Uh, we post the live show when we can um, for free, so you don't even have to be a member, but you just go to the Patreon page and find it there. Yes. But uh, $2 a month, you can support the show, and you get access to some of the exclusives that we post to only our supporters from time to time. And then at $5 a month, you get the supporter sync, um, and uh, then at 33 you get not only that, you get swag, but you also get the uh, the, the mail sack. That's which, right. You, uh, get, you get to become a part of the club. By the way, there's a super you, nice way to get some messages in the show without making it overwhelming. That's true. And, and, the, and the cool thing is, you know, there's 30. It's an exclusive club. Yeah. Right now, yeah. there's only 33 people in Club 33. Oh, are you ready to open up the sack? Let's open up the sack. Yes. You know, by the way, I love this segment. It's fun. Kind of breaking the show. Yeah, you can sort of spay. Yeah, so you know, it feels good. Just, just stretch yeah. out. Yeah, stretch out. Here we go. So Veratuna wrote in to the sack and he said, "Hey, will you please cover the draconian IP bill that the UK media has singularity failed to cover either before it was submitted for criticism or afterwards to scrutinize the implications of its passing?" I posted this to the subreddit, but it only garnered a eh, response. Seriously, if this happened in your country, would you be concerned as well? 
The government being able to stack any case against you by withholding evidence is just so dystopian. It's not even funny. No kidding. V for Vendetta and the Fingerman comes closer every day. Nope, we will not talk about the Snoopers Charter. No. We will not discuss no. how we get covered more in the U.S. I mean, really, the U.K., I mean, they drive on the left side of the road over there. We, it will it's not, so weird. We will not cover in the... What, hold on, Chase, Chase, I'm getting it. Yeah. Oh, we... We did? I'm getting a memo here. We, we just talked... Job done. Job moving on. Moving job on. done. Move, okay. We also have a non-sex submission That's this week, right. right? You know, like I said on the show, I would re- read notes from time to time from people who write into the show who are Patreon supporters, and this came in from a Patreon supporter uh, by the name of Bo. And he, he, this was in concerns to the North Dakota protest. So, oh, good. That's yes, our next topic. That's, that's right. Perfect. That's why I wanted to, to do the Patreon segment now. See? It, it all works that way. It's production kids. Keep up. All right. Here we go. First off. As a Native American, I want to thank you for your coverage of the pipeline protest. I have friends and family which are there protesting, and your coverage of this was truthful, and I am grateful. Most don't really understand our protests and the concerns for the land. This battle is over land rights that has been going on for over 500 years. Chase asked if this land is really tribal land. Yes, it is, according to the Treaty of 1851. Since 1851, the government keeps moving tribal boundaries and calling the land now BLM land. Yep. We didn't get, we didn't, we didn't mention that in our coverage, but that was something I read before our coverage, which is essentially it sounds like the government has moved the goalpost a couple of times. Correct. And that's it. He actually says that. He says, you know, just because you moved the line doesn't. Uh, doesn't change the, the fact that the treaty was signed. You were all right that this is a sovereign nation which armed troops are going into. Ask yourself this question, how would things be if these police and mercenaries were to send across the Canadian border? No, this isn't about money. You're correct. There is money in the bank uh, for this land, but the tribe refuses to use this money. You have to understand the connection each tribe has to the land the creator put them on. The land does not have a price. This land is our mother. Would you sell your own mother? I sure, I'm sure know that the CEO on the show would. We, I'm sure the CEO on the show would. Uh, we have a saying in Indian country, we are the land. The land is connected to us just like our fingers or toes. I know people from other cultures don't understand how deep this runs in our soul. That's a huge yeah. aspect of this. It, totally. It, you know, we're kind of fortunate. We live very close to a, uh, an Indian I reservation. I live on one. Yeah. And, and so, and I have many friends that are, are tribal members. And so I, I've kind of learned through proxy about some of the things that yeah. they, they're involved yeah, with. Yep, yep. Um, the uh I know people from other cultures just don't understand how deep this runs in our soul. How can you sell that? We as a people also have a different point of views on making decisions. We look seven generations ahead because every act we do does affect those future generations. Jeez, that's so smart. And Wa- it's, it's yeah. so, our so, society at large could use more of yeah. that. Water is life. You can't have life without water. Sadly, this isn't a, the first case of a land grab. Really, this has been going on with all tribes for hundreds of years. Right now, the Ute Nation is in a battle over 100,000 acres in which the government wants to open for drilling and mining. Again, this is tribal land protected by treaty. Again, they are stepping over the line with a gun. Since the beginning of the U.S. as a government, the government has entered into over 6,000 treaties with Indian people, and not one has been fully upheld. Not a single one. Think about that for a moment. Yeah, and also remember the original route uh, went through a different kind of neighborhood. Correct. uh, With a different kind of societal status. Yeah. All Native people 
want is to live in peace and keep what precious little we have and protect it for our grandchildren. If you would like to talk directly to the people directly involved, I can arrange that for you all. I know the leaders and other people involved there. You know, I got an email from a vet who went over there. And uh, that's a big thing. I didn't realize it. And then some people I started following on YouTube are their vets. They're going over yeah, there. Yeah, a big uh, vet blockade, if you will. They, she, yeah. they were there to kind of, kind of tag in, you know, and, and, and you take, know what I find to be. You know what I find to be. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say uh, that was it. Wado, uh, which I believe is thank you in tribal speak. And this uh, came from Bo. So thanks. Thank Bo. you, Bo. You know what really gets me about it is the people that were going there to protest, and we're going to cover about like how many people were there. We're going to talk about right. some clips on some of this, and the vets who self-assembled and self-informed. I think that's what's so f- incredible about this is the Coda Access Pipeline is something that most people know about, despite the absolute horrible coverage of the mainstream media, and it is an incredible example. It is it is such an awesome example of how the people self-informed about a story, many of them after self-informing, became motivated to go there and take a stand. Some of them are our most respected members of our society, our veterans. They went there to, to, to stand next to people that have a totally different set of interests, as was just brilliantly yep. outlined in that email. But yet they all still stood together because they self-informed via independent media. Yep. Patreon.com slash unfilter. Thank you to Bo. Thank you to the vets that went out there. Thank you to those of you who emailed us. Uh, and I want to make sure you all understand the kind of conditions these people are taking to stand in. They're, they're white out. It's not it about is, the money. No, it is not. The first Arctic blast of the season is sweeping across much of the country. Parts of the upper Midwest are under a blizzard warning. Heavy snowfall overnight made driving dangerous in Colorado. Sections of North Dakota and Minnesota have more than a foot of snow on the ground. Temperatures are plunging across the Great Plains. I've been getting uh, notes from Noah like, uh, he did Linux Unplugged yesterday, yeah. and uh, by the time he was done, you know, two hours later, he gets out, and two and a half hours, his car, his Jeep, was completely covered in snow. Uh, the the snow at his house, uh, the first night that it snowed, goes up to uh, the bottom of my truck, he, you know, because he has a similar vehicle. It's been, it's insane how cold it is there. It is inhumane. I, you, you don't... Because it's if you've never been in that area, you don't think that the United States has winter conditions that are as bad as like the you, Arctic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's like twenty below with yeah. wind and and snow. It is not a place you just hang out. So let's let's discuss the big development. With this Fox News alert, a major victory for the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe as the Army Corps of Engineers decides not to move ahead on the Dakota Access Pipeline. The tribe and its supporters have been protesting this project for months. William Lajanas live in Cannonball, North Dakota, with the latest on this. Good morning to you, William. Well, Martha, this is clearly a victory for the protest. So who exactly are we talking about? Well, number one, you have down here, you have... Actually, instead of this report telling you who we're talking about, the CNN report actually does a pretty good job of demonstrating who we're talking about. Drumbeats, cheers, and tears. The sound of victory for the Standing Rock Sioux and thousands of others gathered to stop the Dakota Access Pipeline. This massive humanity living off the grid, joined by thousands of military veterans, helped exert so much political and legal pressure, effectively forcing the pipeline to be rerouted. People have uh, said that now this is uh, either we make it or break it, and uh, I guess uh, we made it. 
The pipeline was almost to the river when it was halted by the Army Corps of Engineers so we could take another look at the path. Sunday, officials decided it was a no-go. For months, the Sioux Nation had been demanding the project be scrapped. I was, uh, I was, I was speculating last week that there, it was going to pop. The story was going to pop one way or the other. Yeah, I agree. I felt like that was building that I, way. I, I think once the veterans got involved, and you know, obviously veterans, and then you have the Army Corps of Engineers. I, I think it, it finally just all came to a head. Now I know that a lot of those guys out there are still there, and the reason why they're still there. I look at it in a couple ways. Insurance policy, making sure they follow through on mm. what they're going to do and not wait for them to leave and go, oh, we changed our mind kind of a thing. And just make sure that they're continuing pushing that message because they want to make sure that this stays safe, you know, and this company they got already, there's, somewhere. There's already been a lot of shenanigans. Yeah, exactly. After marking a victory against the Dakota Access Pipeline, a protest camp north of the Standing Rock Sioux Native American Reservation continues to swell in size wow, with more people arriving by the day. Some come by only for a visit, delivering food or supplies in a show of solidarity with the Sioux. But others say they're not ready to leave. After all, the camp has become a fully functioning community. Well, I like to be in the kitchen. I mean, there are so many places that you could offer your help, um, from chopping wood to um, help setting up teepees, coordinating security. Um, Nobody's really guiding the volunteers to help out wherever they're needed, but... Um, there is a place for everyone here. Well, from my experience, from the first time I was here to up till now, this is a place of refuge for a lot of individuals, especially Native people coming from different tribes. Um, at home on the reservation, life isn't always that supportive, and there are a lot of um, difficult things Native people are going through. I don't know if they're going to leave, man. What if they don't want to leave? What if they just decide this is our land and we're not going? Well, guess what? The treaty grants them that right. I feel and, like that's the direction this is going. And, 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 and you know, uh, going back to our email that we received, you know, treaties are there for a reason, obviously. And if they're not holding up, and when I say they, I mean the government. If, if they're not respecting the lines of that treaty... Something's going to to push, and sounds they, like I should go claim my boondocking spot. Go move the rig out there, claim a little camping spot, and say this is mine. Well, it's, it's Pioneer Days again, well, Chase. And that's the thing, you know. There's 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 a there's embedded independent media up there, and, yeah, yeah. And it's 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 good that we have independent eyes on this situation. Yeah, and I I do want to give a shout out. I've been watching some of the Young Turks coverage on it yeah. because they have a reporter embedded there. Uh, and some of the YouTubers that I've been following that are just there doing YouTube videos of their daily life there has been yeah. super insightful. Um, yeah, it's it's. I, I do think, though, that this is a good, good thing that has happened. It just – the one thing that sucks about the whole ordeal is, you know, from for as much as we come down on the mainstream media, I'm – and I'm going to come down on them. Don't think I'm not – they needed to step up a lot faster than this. It, we we shouldn't have had to wait for our awesome veterans to go out there and stand yeah, up for it. It wasn't until should, it was a victory story that they were right. covering it. We shouldn't have had to to wait. Uh, we shouldn't have to wait until blizzard like conditions. We shouldn't have to wait to that point. We, this should have been taken care of a month or two ago. I, I don't know why the Army Corps of Engineers had to stall on this. Well, for so I long. think people were hoping to wait them out when it got cold. I think they really thought once winter came, they'd get the hell out of but, there. But the thing is, these companies they don't understand these tribal members. It's like this, it's a generational and cultural thing. It's like 
they know what these conditions are. You're in my house. This, yeah, this is my house. This is my area. Yeah, I exactly. know what I'm going to expect here. They're not afraid, and you know, and that's why they're they're standing up to water cannons and and to dogs and all these things that are happening up there. It's all about mutual respect, and, and right now they they got a huge amount of it. And finally, the mainstream media is actually keeping an eye on this situation, and I hope that. This trends in a good direction. Maybe the problem is they're too busy chasing all of this fake news. Fake news, fake news, fake news, fake news, fake news. Lots of fake news. I honestly thought the fake news meme would fade after the election, but it is being doubled down on. I have a theory about that. Well, let's – I want to play – okay, so save your theory right after this clip. I want to just put in context how serious the threat of fake news is and the drastic actions that must be taken. It's time for these isolated know-it-alls in the Silicon Valley at Google and Facebook to, like, get this stuff together. These isolated know-it-alls in Silicon Valley need to get their stuff, which is code for shit. They need to get their shit together yeah. on, on things like they, this. They have to have some sort of... I mean, First things. Amendment... We, we... They all, first of all, sound and look drunk, except for uh, Prep Boy here, who's staring at the camera like a frickin' madman right now. But old guy here, he is literally about to argue for crushing free speech. So you got you got uh, you got prep boy. You got drunk Mika. <laughs> Look how drunk Mika looks right now. And the journalists, whose their entire profession is enabled and made possible by the freedom of the press and right. free speech. Yes, they would not be rich if it wasn't for these rights. Right, they are going to argue. They should squish free speech. We, we all live within the First the Amendment. New world. We don't want to tamper with the First Amendment. The new but world. There's something askew here that has to be looked at. You know, it, 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 it's gone in cycles, this misinformation. It used to be telephone calls the night before. I remember Jeb Bush lost a lot in Childs because Lawton Childs right. called hundreds of thousands of people saying Jeb Bush was going to take away their Social Security. Of course, you can't do that as governor. He just made it up. And then it was emails. People would send around the most horrific emails. Uh, and now we're to this stage, and you're right. Now, now it's, it's fake hard news. to stop these phone calls the night See, before an election. All right, it's hard. So, uh, Joe needs to shut up. Okay. Um, Joe, yeah, I'm done with him, too. Yeah, I'm, I'm done, done with him. Yeah. So my theory on this whole thing is I, I, and I, this is just a theory. And, you know, mainstream, oh, I got a couple of them. Well, mainstream media. Uh, Everybody's afraid of cord cutters right now, you know, and and so people not watching things hmm. on the internet. This is an interesting angle I hadn't considered. Yeah. And, and so if they keep pushing out this, you know, fake news, fake news, we need to get it delisted from Google. We need to get it out of Facebook. We need to get it out of Twitter. You know, we need you to get have to stuff. trust us as the predominant right. source well, of right. information. Like, I, they realize that they're losing eyeballs. They're losing people, and especially after this election cycle, especially after. All the attention that they gave Trump, and a lot of them started blaming them. Hey, well, you helped get Trump elected because you just kept giving them free uh, publicity. They they just kept giving it to him. So I think if they are able to pivot and say, uh, we need to shut down this fake news, we need to get rid of this fake news, in their minds they're thinking, maybe we're going to get those people back because we're the trusted source. We're the real source. I've got source. some bacon. All right. Now, this bacon uh, came from LeConnor, I think. So good stuff. It's It's naked bacon. What if, what if, what if, what if ABC News, NBC News, CNN News, and MSNBC News... Throw Fox in there, too, why not? Well, hold on. Okay. What if, what if the all aforementioned truly are liberal media? 
Okay. Like they literally are left. on the side of the DNC okay. and the Clintons and the other power players in the, in the right. Democratic I'm, I'm Party. I'm chewing on it. Okay, go ahead. All right. Wouldn't the concept that fake news propagated by social media platforms, which are a new and unknown technical thing that people don't fully understand, yeah. wouldn't it – wouldn't it make sense that the way they would explain the disconnect between the mainstream and the way they voted and how they reported? And doesn't it make sense to explain why Hillary wasn't elected, not because she's so corrupt, but because of fake news? And like it solves so many problems. Why did the why did the media spend the entire See, hold on? Okay. Why did the media All spend right. the the media, the, this especially CNN, MSNBC, NBC? CBS and ABC, they spent the general election attacking Trump like a maniac and barely mentioning the WikiLeaks, the Podesta emails, right. the FBI investigations, Bill Clinton's flights to pedophile islands, none of that stuff. They don't report on any of it, but they hammered Trump for every little thing he says in tweets, the entire general election. Then she still loses. <laughs> how do they explain this delta between their narrative and how the people who supposedly watch them right. voted? And also, bear in mind, that also should be all the people that are watching those ads that people spend so much money for. How do they explain this gap between the way the people behaved and the way they reported? Well, fake news, because two million people read a web page before the day of the election. So it's fake news because 900,000 people clicked like on Facebook. It's fake news. So it's fake news that that persuaded them away from their informed and correct narrative. Mm. I think that's part of it. I think it yeah. also helps make, explain why Hillary didn't get elected. It's not because she's the most corrupt politician in the history of our modern life. It's simply because of fake news. Well, see, fake news said that the Pope likes Trump. So... See the thing is, I don't think people are buying it though, and that and that's the key. That's why they're 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 still trying to propagate this. They've been propagating it for the right, past couple of weeks. Let me throw this one at you. This right. is, I think, an NBC exclusive. Here. North Carolina man has hey, been arrested Brian! following Woo! a shooting in a DC pizza restaurant that was tied to a fake news story that he and thousands of other people read on the internet. Now remember, I'm they, sorry. This is too. They have I, a platform of tens of millions and. When I saw and heard this story, okay, uh-huh. I was just like, this is way too damn convenient. And I know I – Hold on. Let's go. Let's just go. Let's flow. Right, let's just, go with the flow. All right. Okay. Because, by the way, you know Chris could throw you ABC, CBS. Yeah. I could put – I could put – I went Bright White because we like Bright White. I know. And they all go like this. But Bright White was in Iraq, so I do believe okay, it. let's continue on. Carolina man has been arrested following a shooting in a D.C. pizza restaurant that was tied to a fake news story that he and thousands of other people read on the Internet. Police say he walked into the place in Washington armed with a rifle and a handgun and started firing, hitting no one, thank Thankfully, he told officers he was there to investigate a fake news conspiracy that put the pizza restaurant at the center of a child sex abuse ring run by Hillary Clinton. Not saying Pizzagate, but totally Pizzagate. While the story was and is fiction. It's fake, guys. That didn't stop it from being sent around the world, fake largely guys. on Facebook. And lately, there's been a lot of coverage in the real news about the growing and booming business of creating fake news. Our own Jacob Soboroff just spoke to... Now, this guy, this schmarmy-looking guy... <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, 
Hey, we, He's did, a goof. Did, we, did, we did take a little heat last week for the... For the okay. You All know. right. Fine. Yeah, so, on. by the way, he does have to go into the whole, like, Facebook engagement stuff. from fake sources were shared at a higher rate than real news from us. The Chris, <laughs> stop for so a minute. Heard about well, that. What's considered a fake news source? <laughs> oh, there's a list, Chase. There's there is. A list. Oh, oh he, he's going to tell us? Uh, no. So-called no. mainstream media. And on Facebook, Brian, it was hard to miss fake news articles like this one we're this looking at. This is the favorite. It gets referenced every single day. Right now, about the pontiff endorsing Donald Trump or an FBI agent killing himself and his wife because he was suspected in the Clinton email leaks. That- he then goes off to investigate a fake news specialist who posts fake news stories to Facebook for traffic and ask him why he does it. It's it's a great segment, uh, but we're going to move on. You can right. find that in Supporter Sync if you want to see him interview. No, I, I, I just think they're propagating this because they, they want to try to get their mojo back, and this one's not going to work. It's not passing the sniff test with a lot of people. It could be. So I'll tell you I what the not, internet not that thinks. I'm saying, anyway. You know those crazy people on the internet? Oh, you mean those crazy peeps? Yeah, that, the people that, on that the internet. That stay in their basement yeah. all day. And go yeah. on 4chan and Reddit and IRC. Right. And they play Call of Duty. Yeah. Yeah. What about them? They think that fake the fake news meme is a wider cover-up of something major going on. Ooh. I'm not saying this is Chris's theory. I'm okay. not I'm, yeah. I'm not frying bacon because it's not me cooking. It's not you cooking it. I'm telling you about somebody else who's selling some bacon right now. Yeah. And they're telling you, they're saying that Pizzagate is the bigger story and that the whole fake news meme is designed to cover up Pizzagate. I mm. Before we go into Pizzagate and what it is, I want to make a disclaimer that this is going to be something uncomfortable to talk about for a little bit. Pizzagate is about underage sex in political circles in Washington, D.C. And I know this sounds like a crazy thing to talk about, but it has come up from time to time. Keeping them honest tonight, potentially hundreds of military employees and contractors who may have bought child pornography online but haven't been prosecuted or even in some cases investigated. So 50, I think, or something to that tune, thousand different instances in Washington, D.C. This is Anderson Cooper keeping them honest in 2011. And ever since this report, it's a story that has rattled in the back of my mind that I've never forgotten. I've always been creeped out by this story because the, the wider and larger implications could be huge. But it is absolutely important for you to understand why we're about to talk about these next things. It's absolutely important for you to understand why we're going to talk about these things by watching this clip. That's right. You heard me. Child pornography. As many as 1,700 names, according to a U.S. senator, on a list of 5,200 from an internet sting operation overlooked the first time around four years ago. Only now are they supposedly getting a second look and only after pressure from investigative reporters and the U.S. senator you're about to hear from, Republican Charles Grassley. Pentagon porn story began in 2006. An immigration and customs enforcement child pornography sting operation called Project Flickr produced payment records of about 5,200 people, many of whom provided army or fleet zip codes or military email addresses. Subsequently, the Pentagon's investigative branch, DCIS, began going through the ICE list to identify who actually was a DOD employee or a contractor. The investigation, however, only ran for eight months and only cross-checked some 3,500 names for Pentagon ties, according to a senator. According to DCIS documents revealed in a Freedom of Information Act request, out of that 3,500, investigators uncovered 264 employees or contractors, including staffers for the Secretary of Defense and contractors at the NSA. 
nine people had top security clearances. But only about 20% of those 264 people were completely investigated. Fewer still were prosecuted in about eight months. After about eight months, the entire probe was halted. It left about 1,700 names totally unchecked, 1,700 alleged kiddie porn customers, an unknown number of whom may still work in some capacity for the Defense Department. Late last summer, after investigations by the Boston Globe and Yahoo News revealed the figures, a Pentagon spokesman promised to reopen the investigation, conceding that DCIS had stopped due to lack of resources. DCIS says it is now revisiting all 5,200 names, telling Senator Grassley's staff they've now identified 302 employees or staffers. The Pentagon's IG telling us, and I quote, any suggestion that the DOD Office of Inspector General or its criminal investigative arm, the DCIS, is not taking Operation Flickr and the issue of child pornography seriously is in error. But Senator Grassley says he is still not getting the cooperation he needs from this Pentagon. I spoke to him earlier. And it never goes anywhere. The clip goes on for another five minutes if you'd like to see it in the supporter sync. But that gives you an idea. There is something here when it comes to pedophiles and people in power and whether it's used as blackmail by putting child pornography on people's computers Ugh. or maybe it's it, there's all kinds of weird things happening but Pizzagate has been this like subtopic that's being discussed on the internet and it got started by emails that have been sort of pieced together from Podesta and other sources and I don't I would really like to believe that this this is not true and I it, to me, it doesn't. It, it doesn't smell. It doesn't smell true to me, and I don't know if it's if it's legit or not. But so the the backstory is: there's this pizza restaurant called Comet Ping Pong. Have yeah. you? you I've, heard I've, I've heard of the, <clears throat> the establishment, but that's it. That's all I know. Yeah, yeah. So Comet Ping Pong, uh, they have here. I, you know what I'm gonna? I have a. They have they have a weird reputation. They are. It's there's some weird things about it that first of all, when you look into it, are kind of strange. Uh, if you're watching the video version of the show, I'm going to show you some of the artwork they have here in the restaurant. They say it's a family-friendly event, and you know, or sorry, place, a venue. They have cool games and things like that. But employees have posted strange photos that uh, to to like Instagram and whatnot that are odd. The artwork also has interesting references, and the artist is well known for someone who likes to also depict children being raped in her artwork. And there's pictures in the restaurant that are... That's a little strange. Yeah. A little... That are a little un... un. Here's another employee in there. You can see there's the air hockey table back there posting extremely strange photos from there. Uh, Here's a photo of a child in the back of the restaurant. There's a cage next to him for, like, supplies. But it's just... It's just all weird. Here's another employee one. um, Kind of gross, over the top, that gets posted... There's just a lot of strange things about the people that work there and the company when you look into it. I'll link some of that in the in the show notes. Uh, but it, it comes from a collection of looking at Podesta emails and um, and other things that people have pieced together on the internet. Uh, who knows? Who really knows? There is there is probably some there is does seem to be some smoke here. Um, but pedophilia could be it, 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 that that is something that seems to be. I don't know. There is a lot of strange stories about people in elite power and pedophilia. And after uh, Podesta was investigated by the FBI, very shortly after that, one of the largest pedophilia rings has, like, ever has just got shut down. And people are speculating that might have been from contents in his email. Wow. There's a lot of things that people are piecing together, um, and including uh, people who worked for Hillary and others. I have a, a, an article linked in the show notes 
that if you are curious about Pizzagate and why, why people keep talking about it and why the mainstream media just dismisses it, dismisses it, there is a fully referenced link in the show notes. It goes here and lists everything out, why people are talking about it. It's a really weird thing, though, because there are people that are covering it that are losing their jobs. So they talk about it, they get fired. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe there's more to it with this fake news and all of that. Uh, I'll give you an example of uh, somebody who uh, who uh, got fired. Oh, wait, hold on. Not, not, not that one. Go away, Anderson. We're done with you. Uh, so this is uh, – there is this uh, General Flynn and his son. Uh, and they say that uh, that he might have helped inspire violence. You, you're downplaying his role, but you must be aware that the transition team put in for security clearance for Michael G. Flynn, the son. So Michael J- Jr. is the is the son of someone who's very involved with Trump's transition team. Son of Lieutenant General Flynn. Well, I, I'm I'm aware in talking to General Flynn that that uh, his son was helping with scheduling. Jake is, is uh, no, but you put in for security he, clearance. He was, for him. He was helping his dad arrange for meetings and provide meetings, but that's no longer the case. By the way, Jake has actually gone to this pizza place. Mm. A lot of people in D.C. do. But do you need security uh, clearance to do scheduling? I think that's the appropriate decision for us to move forward, avoid any further distraction. And uh, uh, I'm very confident as we continue to build this team. um, uh, And uh, as uh, tonight, you'll see the president-elect. So he kind of continues. Jake really kind of jumps on him for not answering the question. Uh, is is are you you know uh, why did you let this guy go? Well, we let him go because uh, he was kind of related. He retweeted some stuff. Uh, he did. He 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 may have promoted some things on Twitter. Fake news. Real gunfire. A North Carolina man arrested in a D.C. pizza shop after brandishing a gun, telling police he was there to investigate a conspiracy theory called Pizzagate. One of the hosts runs up and is like, "Did you see that guy? You know, he had a he had a big gun." We actually thought initially that he was a staff member because he was walking straight for that back room. Staff member, you know, kind of looked at me and and indicated that this was a gunman. Edgar Welch appearing in court this afternoon. According to police, Welch said that he had read online that the Comet Ping Pong restaurant was harboring child sex slaves and that he wanted to see for himself if they were there. The suspect said he was armed to help rescue them. The accusation came from this unhinged story that originated online days before the election, saying that Hillary Clinton and her campaign chairman John Podesta were operating a child sex ring. The lie took root in the digital swamps of Twitter and far right wing <laughs> websites. Wait, stop, stop, stop for a minute. And they're stop. showing Reddit, dude. Yeah, they're showing Reddit. But far right wing websites, and they show Reddit. Mm-hmm. Do you notice, by the way? Look, they're just—they're doing a search. The guy did a search, and then they have Alex Jones down there. I know. Also, by the way, the gunman did have an IMDb page. Something the chat room is pointing out—that's true too. Huh. Kind of interesting. Saying that Hillary Clinton and her campaign chairman John Podesta were operating a child sex ring. The lie took root in the digital swamps of Twitter and far right wing websites. The swamp. What's funny too is that it's totally a reference back to digital swamps. And when they say digital swamps, they're showing CNN. And what shows up on the CNN? Or I'm CNN sorry, they're showing clips. YouTube. They're showing YouTube. And what shows up on the YouTube page is CNN clips. That's a CNN clip right there. And that's the swamp. Swamps of Twitter and far right wing websites. We're not covering Pizzagate enough, even though we covered it every day. To expose the Satanism and the occult and the code words for pedophilia. October 30th, a Clinton-hating, Trump-loving Twitterer claimed a police source said Clinton was at the center of a pedophilia ring. 
Others latched onto this, seemingly hoping it was true, scouring dark corners of the web for possible clues. This is how conspiracy theories are threaded together. Fake news! Lie by lie. Eventually a name stuck, Pizzagate, and the believers started harassing the owner of the pizza place. We've received many, many, many calls, but really they're from around the world, so we didn't expect anyone to come. On Sunday, the suspect fired his weapon. No one was hurt. With detectives still on the scene in D.C., Pizzagate believers were already claiming that this real development was just part of a cover-up. The media is claiming that this is because of Pizzagate. This is very dangerous fake news. Anybody claiming that the gunman day at Comet Pizza had anything to do with Pizzagate is lying. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting that they played that to make that guy seem even crazier? Wow. So then, so then, here's so uh, this this uh, Michael Flynn Jr. The reason why he had to leave the transition team, the one I was just playing the clip from Pence, is because he retweeted somebody who talked about Pizzagate. He didn't say – he didn't propagate – he just retweeted somebody. He just retweeted. As chairman, I'm one of the strongest and fiercest advocates for strengthening the bond. So I want to jump into this uh, again. We'll go to your good friend, My your buddy. deep, deep, passionate buddy, deep uh, Joe, who, uh, by the way, is a solid interrupter of his co-host. Watch a, a classic uh, uh, Joe moment. Joe Benuver. That's Congressman Ed Rice. He's- uh, I, uh, you can, wait, we just just break this. <laughs> I knew uh, that I'm the host of the show. Mike Flynn. Mike Flynn, which is the son. Junior worked for his father. Are you saying right now he's working for his father? General Flynn, the NSA to be his son, right. Michael Flynn Jr. is his chief of staff. With all the fake news that he's spitting out and churning out, he's re- he retweeted stories. Yeah. He's got what? A dot gov? Does he have a dot gov? Yeah. Email. Email? Yeah. Transition team. So this is how toxic this is. If you just simply retweet something about this, you get fired from the transition actually, team. Well, actually, you know, a lot of reporters and, and and people that work in the media, they have to actually put in the description to say retweets are not an endorsement. Yeah, blah blah blah. I, blah. I hate that. But but they do have to do it because of like this is an example. Right here. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what's going on with this story. I, I could just continue to watch it. I do have in the supporter sync and in the show notes, Conspiracy of Silence, which was a Discovery Channel documentary that Discovery produced, created about pedophilia in the uh, echelons of D.C., and uh, then it was never aired. Oh. So I grabbed it because it's probably going to be taken down. It is on YouTube right now, though, so I have it just linked in the show notes, but it's also in the supporter sync. I have Jake Tapper's entire rant against Michael – or uh, Michael – Against Pence uh, uh, for not answering the questions about why they kicked Michael Flynn's son out and all of that. And then I have also a, a PDF copy of the fully sourced and simply organized version of all of the Pizzagate stuff if you are curious, including timelines, links to all the stuff, uh, similar scandals and all of that. But for the meantime, I'm just I'm just going to kind of watch it from afar and see where yeah, this thing goes. Yeah, no, it's a good idea. Pizzagate, definitely – one of the things that's interesting, and I could have I could have gone through if I had more time and created a montage. But one of the things that's super obvious is whenever anyone in the media, whether whichever network it is, does not matter, they always make a lot of couch statements like the fake news story Pizzagate, which is absolutely untrue, or which is an internet conspiracy, or which is prop, you know, all of it, even Russian propaganda. They all are really, really, really careful when they talk about it. My wife asked me about it the other day, and I was like, I don't know much about it. And now I do, and I'm just like, oh, God. <laughs> you don't even want to think about no, it. No, I don't, because that's just, wow. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So let's move on. Yeah. Let's move on. Uh, let's talk about your friend. My good buddy. Who's probably dead, but so far <laughs> nobody knows. Assange. Ah, uh, Julian. Who uh, may feel a little vindicated today if he's still alive. WikiLeaks editor Julian Assange has released the answers that he gave to Swedish prosecutors during questioning at the Ecuadorian embassy in London last month. It's part of the ongoing investigation into sex crime allegations against him. The probe was started back in 2010 and two women told police that Assange had assaulted them in Sweden. He's always maintained his innocence, though, and sought asylum in London's Ecuadorian embassy in 2012, where he has remained ever since. Artis Polyboyka takes a closer look at the document. Well, this is Julian Assange's statement, the one that he provided to Swedish authorities when they finally questioned him several weeks ago. It's interesting that RT is the only outlet that covers the statement being made public, and it does make me wonder if Russia has an interest in Assange. And it's his version of the events regarding the so-called rape allegations, as a lot of media outlets like to refer to them. First of all, it clarifies why Julian Assange was in Sweden back in 2010. And it then turns to his interaction with the woman in question. This is his description of what happened between them. Take a listen. I went to Sweden on 11th August 2010. During my stay, I met a woman. Hot. On the evening of 16th August 2010, she invited me to her home. Double hot. During the night and in the morning, we had consensual sexual intercourse on several occasions. Triple hot. In the night and in the morning, they had sex on several occasions. <laughs> Assange can deliver, dude. Several occasions. I therefore could not believe my eyes when five days later I saw a headline in a Swedish tabloid that I was suspected of a crime and arrested in my absence. Could you imagine? That same day, the chief prosecutor of Stockholm, Ava Finney, dropped the arrest warrant against me and within days would close the preliminary investigation with the finding that no no crime whatsoever had been committed against the woman. So this, for some reason, and I think because it sort of gives uh, a voice to his perspective and his narrative, had not really gotten much coverage. And so he's got to feel pretty good today that people are talking about yeah, this. Yeah, I bet. You know, there's a group out there. You may have heard of them before. They're called Human Rights Watch. And uh, they they have a suggestion. Oh? Um, maybe we could stop selling weapons to Saudi Arabia? <laughs> Welcome back to the news on RT America tonight. Human Rights Watch has asked the U.S. to stop all arms sales to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. The group cites unlawful airstrikes on civilians in Yemen and is calling on President Obama to change U.S. policy by stopping weapons trans. No, 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 no. Hey. Hey. I would like to uh, put a call out to, to people in the subreddit. If you get any videos online or uh, audio radio reports that you can link us to, like an MP3 file or something we can download or a YouTube video we can pull on on reports out of Yemen and what's going on there. There's very, 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 very little coverage, and it's something we should be talking a lot more about in this show. Uh, so if you could if you could help us out, unfilter.reddit. Dot com. com. Now, here's something I don't want to be talking about. I refuse to talk about. We're going to air it once in 216, and then, I swear to God, this better not become a main topic. Well, just moments ago, Vice President Joe Biden was up on Capitol Hill, and he said he will run for president in 2020. NBC's Kelly O'Donnell was one of the reporters with the vice president. She joins us now. Okay, Kelly, for real, for fun, for what? Now... Can you believe this? And she gets she gets so excited. She reads from her phone live on air, and you can feel her anxiety about it. 
Uh, so watch her as she's reading her phone here live. Hold on, where is it? Boop, boop, boop. Oh, I lost it. Anyways, she gets like she's shaking. Wow. Biden says he's, he might run in 2020. Here's another coverage. Of John Carrier to talk about more about uh-huh. that. I, I got to say, I'm not sure it was all that off the cuff. I spoke to the vice president uh, back at the convention. He didn't uh, rule out a future run then either. And you got to wonder if he's having some kind of regrets over not running this year. <laughs> So there's ABC. Of course, it's not Regrets. just ABC. And Donald Trump told not to. Into the White House yet, but Joe Biden already leaving the door open to come back as 2020 as running for president. Oh, even Fox has to do it. And they all did it. They all did it, Chase. They all did it. Uh, Don't. I do not. No, we can't. We cannot already be talking about 2020. Can we just... He hasn't even gotten an office yet. He hasn't even gotten an office yet, Chase. Well, you have to talk about it. I mean, Hillary talked about it. Now he's going to talk about no, it. No, let's just focus on the next four years. Let's focus on the next six months. Can we just do that for no, a little Chris, while? No, Chris, we can't. We have to look in 2020 now. Here's my, here's my pledge. Unless it becomes substantially newsworthy, we're not going to be talking about the 2020 election in this show. God, please no. All right. Moving on. Thank you. So uh, there is very little that's actually newsworthy because Trump isn't in office yet. He can, he can have people walk through the Trump Tower doors and make news, and he can have the media propagate a narrative that he's so happy. He is so happy you're talking about Al Gore visiting. He could not be more thrilled that you're talking about Mitt Romney. He loves that you are playing right into his hand. Uh, but there's somebody who is spilling the beans that we don't normally hear from. He had a big press event that he holds every year. Russian President Vladimir Putin revealing his talks with the president-elect. In my recent phone conversation with Donald Trump, we agreed that the unsatisfactory condition of Russian-U.S. relations should certainly be straightened out. Like I have already said, our country is ready to do our part. Donald Trump has long praised Putin as a strong leader. Run by a very smart cookie, much smarter, much more cunning than our president. But skepticism of a Trump-Putin bromance is unrelenting given Russia's activities in Ukraine, Aleppo, and cyberspace. (laughs) All right. All right. Like, we weren't involved with the whole thing in Ukraine. Like, we... Remember how we did it during the during the Crimea? Or yeah. Remember how we did it during the Olympics? Just so that way he'd be thrown off. The okay, okay. So like we're not involved in you. The, okay, sure. If I, like we're not involved with the rebels in Aleppo. Right. Like we're not involved with right. Stuxnet and cyber attacks. It's just it's so gorgeous. Smarter, much more cunning than our president. <laughs> but skepticism <laughs> yeah. of a Trump-Putin bromance is unrelenting. Got to get that bromance reference in there. You can't do your Trump-Putin coverage without a mention of no, the bromance. Getting them side by side. Given Russia's activities in Ukraine, Aleppo, and cyberspace. Cyberspace. <laughs> Given their actions, you know, you could say the same exact thing about the United States. It's so awesome. Cyberspace. I think Putin is playing Trump. He also believes that uh, Trump will respond to flattery, and Putin is going to use that tactic uh, to get what he wants from the United States. CIA Director John Brennan telling the BBC, I think President Trump and the new administration need to be wary of Russian promises. Why is he telling that to the BBC? Why the BBC? 
What audience does the BBC reach? Why does John Brennan want the BBC audience to be concerned about the Russians? Ask yourself why the director of the CIA is giving an interview to the BBC and who the BBC's audience is. That's not by accident. Nope. No, it is not. Mm -mm. Promises. Reversing U.S. course on Russia is risky. Europe is on edge. U.S. Marines are here in Norway on winter war games demonstrating U.S. presence. And if Russia... When Russia holds war games, it's Russian aggression. It's Russian aggression. When we're on their border holding war games, that no bigs. And in eastern Aleppo, Russian bombs paved the way for the regime's killing of civilians. Forty percent of eastern Aleppo has fallen in the last 48 hours, according to a U.S. defense official. Fallen back to the government, and it was the rebels that were shooting civilians as they left. It's the government when they got in there that provided corridors for the civilians to leave. And then where did the civilians go? Where did the civilians go when they evacuated Aleppo? They went to shelters that the government set up with, get this, bathrooms that work and a place to eat and a place to sleep provided by the government once they retake the territory. But the way this report is framed, it sounds it sounds like the government came in there, started shooting up the civilians, and <laughs> yeah. they were backed by the Russians. Presence. And in eastern Aleppo, Russian bombs paved the way for the regime's killing of civilians. Forty percent of eastern Aleppo has fallen in the last 48 hours, according to a U.S. defense official. That is fake news. That's fake news. Trump also long claiming he will reverse course and back out of the Iran nuclear deal. The CIA director not mincing words saying... I think it would be disastrous. If the deal is torn up, the U.S. believes Iran will restart its nuclear weapons program, prompting other nations to race to catch up. Brennan calling it the height of folly to walk away. As Trump weighs his choices for Secretary of State, the current secretary who negotiated the deal made clear he will be ready to speak out against the upcoming Trump administration. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad that's, everybody's that's good to know. Everybody's Thanks. on the same page. We're going to work together here. So, yeah, that's the Putin conversation stirred things up. There was a phone call that uh, wasn't to Putin that also got a little attention this week. And now we go to the Trump transition, where fallout continues over the president-elect's phone conversation with the president of Taiwan. The phone call steering up tension and concern for China. Beijing today issuing a stern response, but still expressing hope that relations between the U.S. and China would not be damaged by the diplomatic dust-up. So China is uh, scolding president-elect because uh, the U.S. is supposed to have a one-government policy towards China and not recognize Taiwan as its own independent government. And it's interesting to see Trump. Obviously, Trump knows this is going to get coverage. Again, this is, I believe, how he controls the the narrative at large. But there's there is a bigger thing going on here. Uh, This whole like China being upset that we talked to Taiwan. There is more to this story. We're learning China has flown a pair of long-range nuclear-capable bombers around Taiwan for the very first time. And it happened less than a week before President-elect Trump took that congratulatory phone call, as it's been described from Taiwan's leader, Lucas. Maybe that's why Taiwan wanted to talk to President-elect, because they just got buzzed by bombers. Maybe they had uh, something pretty urgent to talk about. Yeah, like, uh, hey, uh, we might need help in the future. Yeah. Are you willing to help us? What do you think about uh, Trump tweeting about Boeing and uh, overcharging for uh, Boeing local company here, sort of. 
Donald Trump. Almost Twitter, the most retarded Trump. tweet in the world, by the way. <laughs> Trump's comments are already making news, and now we have another chapter to the story. It was a response from a company that Donald Trump has put in, uh, well, in the line of fire. Donald Go, Jenna. Listen to her. She's having a hard time. Well, uh... Oh shit! Now I'm in the. Now I'm already committed to saying this, and I'm on Fox News. Well, in the line of fire, Donald Trump this morning tweeting out this. You see that guy in the background? He's I'm like, on Fox hey, News. I'm on Fox. He's talking to somebody on the phone. Hey, look right now! Look right now on the camera! You'll look see on- me! You'll see me! This morning tweeting out this just to, in review, saying Boeing is building a brand new 747 Air Force One for future presidents, but costs are out of control. More than four billion dollars. Cancel order. He then stopped in front of cameras and uh, Trump Tower and said that he feels that Boeing is doing a little bit of a number on the United States. He wants them to make money, but not that much money. That's what he said uh, to the public. So now we have the statement from Boeing. This just breaking Boeing, just putting this out on Twitter, saying we are currently under contract for $170 million to help determine the capabilities of these complex military aircraft that serve the unique requirements of the president of the United States. We look forward to working with the U.S. Air Force on subsequent phases of the program, allowing us to deliver the best planes for the president at the best value for the American taxpayer. This, again, is the is the Trump narrative about him being a deal maker cutting taxes yeah but the other thing too that he regretted to inform everybody is it not it's not four billion for one plane it's for three and at list prices alone that would cost about a billion dollars but you got to remember that these uh, 747s are not your typical 747 like uh, they can be refilled in air uh, continuously uh, there's a lot of other security features they're gonna they're gonna so put the kibosh on this thing they're going to shut him down on this. But I'll tell you this. It, they already have, It's actually. not about him being uninformed. It's about him knowing what's going to resonate with the American people. Right. I bet you there was some. there's something else here. There was something else happening or, or, here. Or, or I don't know if you have anything about the carrier thing. But like uh, I do, I don't have them organized. Let me. That's that's fine. I mean, I can kind of float about it. But you know, you know how he said you know he saved the jobs and everything. The carrier is still sending 800 jobs to Mexico. I don't know where my carrier folder is. Uh, or or is it a thousand? But I mean, the thing is, yeah, he was able to save some of the jobs by providing and working with Pence to provide tax breaks. I had a carrier thing. I had a whole you know, folder and, on and, and Bernie went off all on that <clears> stuff. <throat> yeah, so yeah. I mean, it, it's one of these things where Trump knows what to say to stir up the things to kind of cause the great distraction and to get people talking about it and getting off the topic of something else. I think he knows how it's going to play to a base better. Totally. So, So people who are informed like you are, they react like, well, actually, uh, for three planes that can do these, that's not a bad price. That's a ridiculous tweet. That's an informed response. But if you're listening to – if you – if you take confirmation bias into perspective, and if you're a Trump supporter yeah. and you're looking for the guy that you elected to get in there, yeah, that's what I wanted to I do. I wanted the business. I wanted the businessman in there shaking things up, making deals, shaking down some of these companies who are wasting taxpayer dollars. I mean, even though the day that he becomes inaugurated, that he'll be breaking the law because he's still involved in business dealings. I mean, even still, I mean, you know. <laughs> I'm losing clips, so we should probably move into the high note. Yeah. It's at this point, if I've if I've if I lost if I've lost clips, there is no redeeming us, and we still have a packed overtime coming up. In fact, Fair in, enough. in the over, well, you know what? I'll leave. I'll leave it. You guys, there's a great overtime coming up. Listen to that. But All right. Let's uh, let's talk about the gold rush that is pot. Now, I I maintain I am so I am still 
perturbed by the fact that when the media wants to do any reports about pot, they say Colorado, they right? Go to Colorado. I knew you were going to go there. I hate it because we technically in Washington, we first. We did technically legalize it before Colorado. They just got it up and running before we did, and now they get all of the credit. It drives me crazy. I know it's my personal shit. I shouldn't bring it up on the show. I'm sorry, but listen to the numbers. What do you always say on this show? Show Jay? me the money. Industry that is smoking hot in America. Kate uh-huh. Rogers joins us now from Denver, uh, where pot, pot is growing jobs. Uh, hey, Kate. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey there, Joe. That's right. Well, Marijuana Business Daily estimates that retail sales will hit about five billion dollars this year, with an economic impact of between fourteen and seventeen billion dollars. Now, over the next four years, those numbers. So five billion now, when it still has a huge social stigma. When there are so many employers who don't allow you to go based on routine testing. It's going to be huge. It's already it's already at five bill. Yeah. When there is all of the societal pressure, when it's federally still against the law. Yeah. While it's still getting screened constantly. Yeah. Five bill. And then they speculate while it's still all these conditions are still in place where it's going to go. This is nuts. And 17 billion dollars. Now, over the next four years, those numbers. 17 billion dollars over the next four yeah. years. Could surpass 44 billion dollars in terms of economic impact. The overall economic impact due to jobs and tax revenue and all that, $44 billion. Billion dollars this year with an economic impact of between $14 and $17 billion. Now, over the next four years, those numbers could surpass $44 billion in terms of economic impact. We are live here today at the dispensary Medicine Man in Denver, where the owners have rushed to cash in on this budding industry, but among their (laughs) challenges, finding a knowledgeable and professional and skilled workforce. Stop with the stupid It's, I know. They can't help it. And the thing is, there's so many to be made. There's so many. They, they, I think we got five more years Chris, of this. You dude. know, it's about high time that we talk about oh, something else. We do it ourselves with the high note. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Although the high note itself is a play on the fact that they do this this much. Yeah, do you care at all about the job stuff, or should we move on? I not really, just okay. because. It's I, jobs. Yeah, it's jobs. Yeah. yeah, it's jobs, and it is a good industry to get jobs in, and the money is nuts. Right. Let's talk about something that is actually way more fascinating to talk about to me, so let's move on. Right. Um, so in Denver, they're trying this thing. I guess it's like something in an election that just passed. I, I, kind of, I kind of feel a little dumb for being uninformed on, about this. Maybe you've heard more about this this social marijuana use law that passed. No. Social marijuana. So check this out. New at 10. Would you go to a marijuana bar or a pop party? Well, now that Denver voters have approved social cannabis use, the city is trying to figure out how and when it will start. Tonight, Denver's Heaven's Jacqueline Allen is talking to city leaders about legal challenges and talking to business owners ready for a slice of that pot pie, Jacqueline. Oh, God. Ugh. Oh, the pot pie. Oh, man. <laughs> it's so bad. We don't have we don't have this, right? We don't have we don't have like pot bars. No, not, not only that pot's illegal to smoke. Anywhere in in a you can only smoke it at home, right? Right, only at a a personal private residence. But not only that, you can't smoke. Period. Anywhere. I mean, yeah. There's been challenges to the state law. Like, I have a club. It's not open to the public. Right, they've been shut down. Right, they've been shut down by the Department of Health. This really does seem like the next phase, though. I agree because you know you you look at Colorado, you look at here in Washington, and and you look at the states that have been doing it for a while now. They they want to capitalize on that tourism factor. They want to, you know, for example, someone comes in from out of town. They're here to ski. They're here to check out the Space Needle. 
and they want to try a little bit of pot. And but they can't because technically they can't smoke in their health hotel room. Uh, they can't smoke out in public uh, technically per the law. But people do it. Walk around Seattle, you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I oh mean, boy, th- do they? But th- th- this is the next step. It seems like. It. And so they've got a couple of businesses that are going to experiment with this. Now it's going to start in phases. That's right. Like the owners at Mutiny Information Cafe on South Broadway, they want to apply for a social use permit as soon as possible. But at a city council meeting today, it became clear it's going to be a while. We're a a unique bookstore. The idea for this bookstore on South Broadway is eventually a little cannabis with your coffee. So would would this be where the social use would be? Mutiny co-owner Jim Norris wants to hold monthly marijuana-focused events behind the bookshelves. So, like, you know, what we plan is like a dance party, comedians. Hey, hey, pinball! Yeah, I like that. Um, by the way, uh, full disclosure, everybody, I love pinball. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He does. He does, and I can play. Yeah, I, in fact, uh, I'm yeah, a champion. By the I way, I would say I would say that if you wanted to discuss <clears throat> pinball with Chase at Nunes would be the place That's to go. That's a great place to go. Good time. We'll be keeping tabs on that. But at this city council meeting, attorneys are still working to figure out how to make social marijuana use legal, especially under state law banning open and public consumption. Denver is launching an advisory committee to come up with rules over the next six months. So think about the complexity of this. you got city law, which is now in conflict with state law, and the overall state law about... Is in conflict with federal law. Wow, right? Well, and, and it's not only that, but... You have these guys obviously want to take advantage of it, but at the same time, it's like um, you have other governments that want to uh, push pot stores and places out of their cities, right? They, they don't want it in their city, even though the state legalized it. So it's like, that's okay, but if the city wants to do something a little bit better or, or different, they can't do it. it it's You can't have one without the other. It doesn't make sense. Up with rules over the next six months. We're going to take the same approach that we took with Amendment 64, a thoughtful and measured approach so that we get this right. Would I prefer it to be a little quicker? Uh, Certainly. Supporters of social use are okay, though, with the slow rollout, starting with special events, eventually expanding. So we would love to have establishments that are uh, very similar in nature to bars uh, for cannabis. Norris says he'll be the first to support the cannabis culture now brewing in Denver. It's a chance to change Denver and make Denver into something really cool, more cool. And as required by Initiative 300, the city will issue the permit applications to businesses next month to anyone interested in doing social marijuana use. But after that, they have no time requirements, and they tell me they won't accept those applications until the rules are ready, which will probably be sometime late next summer. That's a fascinating thing that's developing. Uh, this just in. Uh, yeah. January 21st, uh, Trump will go ahead and file lawsuits against all the states. That... <laughs> oh, wait. I'm sorry. That was a fake news website. My bad. <laughs> My bad. Sorry. I want- I wonder. I wonder, Mr. Chase. I wonder if uh, we'll see something like that happen in our neck. Of it's going to be a very, very interesting year coming up. <laughs> There's a lot of little news stories, little itty bitty news stories that are very regional that I was uh, monitoring. Like, uh, it's just, just like all this stuff is happening. There's a lot of stuff, including more stuff going on with uh, with the whole. Uh, 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 NFL, and there was an interview that uh, was in a podcast that ESPN played, and there's just a there is a ton of things happening with cannabis use, especially uh, CBD in sports. And we started talking about it last week. I probably could have played five or six clips about it, but I didn't know if the audience would get bored by us covering cannabis use in sports. I'm not a big sports person, so I can barely get through the clips. 
I don't know who any of these people are they're talking hey, about, hey, but hey, Chris, they seem it's very time for me excited. To do a uh, spo- uh, sports focused special. You could be our you could be our uh, sports cannabis use correspondent, Mr. Chase, <laughs> chief correspondent. There was a there was a big interview with somebody who apparently people really like and respect who came out and admitted that he uses weed and thinks that the NFL needs to get serious about it. I don't know who he Actually, is. Actually, there was a coach, yeah. uh, Steve Kerr for the Golden State Warriors. They won the uh, yeah. World, uh, the Kerr, pa- yeah. Yeah, basketball yeah. championship a couple years, and he was actually he was a mar- he is a medical marijuana patient. Do which you, is do you think I should have pulled clips then? You could, you should have. I didn't know if he, I don't know who Kurt is, so I didn't know. I, I, I would have talked about it. I, I would have picked you up, buddy. <sighs> now, now, Chris, you've been uh, telling people about this um, nakedness. Whoa! On a on a You're beach talking about somewhere. me going out into the water uh, the yeah, other day. I, if if people want to yeah. follow this, uh, yeah. this uh, twenty five uh, degrees outside, adventure. I had to walk yeah, out in the I, ocean. I, I don't took know off why my you clothes. Would do it, but where would people go? YouTube.com slash Chris Fisher or follow my Twitter feed at Chris L-A-S. What about you, butta? Well, you can find out about my pinball adventures and other news exploits at mm. N-U-N-E-S. That's like my it. name, Nunes. And also check out GeekGamer.tv. I, right, appreciate right I do streaming, uh, gaming streaming, uh, lots of fun stuff. Battlefield 1. I've been playing a lot of uh, you know Rocket League yeah. and City Skylines. Can I, make a, can I make a request to the audience? Yeah, bud. Tweet me your favorite sous vide recipe <laughs> at You're Chris hooked. L-A-S. Oh, You're hooked. I'm all in. I'm getting another one we for the, the show. We do the show every single Wednesday live at jblive.tv. Right. We hope to see you guys here next Check week. Check us out at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Thank you, everybody. Unfiltered.reddit.com. Yes, don't forget that. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's everything we've got. Thanks for joining us. Special thanks to the chat room. And producer Matt. Getting out of here. See you right back here next, next week. what you've been told the show is not over yet in fact maybe it's just beginning it's time for you and me it's time for the overtime bot brought to you by patreon.com slash unfiltered special thank you to our new patrons who stepped up scott and Bo, peter john eric another scott Citizen Earth Media. Ooh, I like that. Daniel J. Robert A. And Aperture Engineering. I'm going to guess that's how you say that one. Thank you for being our new patrons. This overtime segment is dedicated to you and all of our supporters at patreon.com slash to... Nope. Oh. Well, you can go there too, actually. Patreon.com slash unfilter. Now... I set aside a few cyber clips just for you for our intimate one-on-one over... I gotta stop that. This is getting ridiculous. <laughs> but I did set aside some cyber clips. And uh, this is a special one for you and me because last overtime, remember how we uh, totally called out Catherine Heritage for her uh, typical... Uh, Anwar Anwar Al-Laki media coverage, making sure she hit all of those specific points about Awaki. Well, we've got another one. And this time, they're just asking the question, 
Well, why haven't we stamped all those videos out? So we get a little bit of the talking points, and then they address, why are these videos still online? And they got to bring in the judge. So for those of you who caught uh, the overtime in 2.15, this is the perfect follow-up clip. Well, right now, some growing questions on why the propaganda videos of a radical Islamic cleric are still up on YouTube. Yeah. It's been more than five years since a U.S. drone strike in Yemen took out Anwar Awalaki. But his message is being felt beyond the grave. Oh, Investigators there it point is. to 11 incidents since 2009 that Awalaki may have inspired. Oh, YouTube says it's vigilant in tracking down terrorist videos. For those of you that don't know, whenever you talk about Awalaki, you have to talk about inspiring and you have to talk about from the grave. Uh, so that way we are perpetually justifying the droning of the first American citizen. And quote, YouTube has clear policies prohibiting re- terrorist recruitment and content intending to incite violence. And we quickly remove videos violating these policies when flagged by our, our users. Let's talk about this with Judge Andrew Napolitano, our Fox News senior judicial analyst. Anybody want to make us a Judge Napolitano uh, uh, um, like uh clip or something because we sure play a lot of judge clips Your judicial analyst the reason why we're taking a look at this is because right. you know last week at this right. time we had the ohio state university attack right. you had the one-year anniversary of the san bernardino terrorist attack you have the uh, alleged terrorist in new york planting bombs on the street in the chelsea district here also potentially a reference to anwar abalaki so we were curious we were googling anwar abalaki and there he is all over right. youtube there he is just as everywhere live but here he is almost from the grave uh-huh. a common threat as having inspired all these people who you just uh, who you just talked about. Now, is there somebody holding up cue cards, holding up inspire and from the grave? Because you guys admit it, right? I mean, last week we were watching the clip together. I'd saved it for the overtime. And there's Catherine Heritage. Right. And again, now now both Jan, um, uh, Jenna and both the judge, these same words over and over again. And it's not just Fox. It's not just Fox. So this, uh, the short answer is. His videos are still out there because, like flag burning, they are protected speech, even though they are hateful, even though they advocate violence, Man, even though they are speech, profoundly huh? un-American, they are protected speech. Protected? Okay, so you're telling me, fr- okay, did, oh, judge man. Dude, I, I, bro, are you saying that free speech is profoundly un-American? Did you just say that? Uh, a common thread is having inspired all these uh-huh. people who you just uh, who you just talked about. So this, uh, the short answer is his videos are still out there because, like flag burning, they are protected speech, even though they are hateful, even though they advocate violence, even though they are profoundly un-American. They oh, are protected he did say that. speech. Yeah, he did say protected that. Protected from the government. No one can be prosecuted for playing them or listening to them, but not protected from YouTube, which what? is not the government. Did he just get all of a sudden excited about potentially strong arming a private company to stifle free speech? You know, there's this loophole <laughs> because YouTube is a company and companies don't have to respect free speech. So if we just sat on their nutsack really hard, we could probably get them to squash free speech. The government. So the First Amendment says the government shall not interfere with free speech. But YouTube could take them down in a flash just because it doesn't want this stuff being propagated on its platform. Squashing free speech is easy and it's fascinating because they're a private company and they have great power. It's fascinating. Do you think they should? Well, that's a, they should make a business judgment. I mean, they exist in order to earn a return on the investment of their shareholders. So, Yes, YouTube already does that. Thank you for pointing that out. 
10105 in the chat room points out that not only does YouTube actively already do this, I have had episodes of Unfilter flagged for this. And they have a very clear terms of use policy, and they don't have to justify at all for flagging your video if they feel you violated it. If they think the shareholders want a free and open platform where any political idea can be aired, no matter how horrible, hateful, or harmful it may be. Can you believe that the platform for like, this guy? I mean, I you know, the judge... Can you believe – from the clips we've played around Pizzagate to this, it's all about you can't have free speech unless it's here on our airwaves. Free speech anywhere else, bad. And that that is unbelievable. That is that is unbelievable that here in the United States of America, this is just now becoming part of the dialogue. Hateful or harmful it may be, they should keep it on there. But if they want to cleanse the airwaves of this horror the and terror-producing stuff, they can take it down with impunity. So they can – Taking it down with impunity. They can take it down if they want to cleanse the airwaves, making an analogy to television broadcast, because let's be honest, it's nothing about airwaves when it comes to YouTube unless you're on LTE. If they want to cleanse the airwaves, they can do it with impunity. In other words, they could do it with no recourse. They should get on this. With impunity. So they can make the business decision this is in the public good according to our own opinion, and yes. we're going to do it. Yes, and, they already and do that. the government can't stop them, and nobody can sue them because they have the absolute right to do it. But That's you know what will happen. Of course. It'll be like whack-a-mole. They'll take this down and two others. Will that is already that's is. not an argument not to just go ahead and whack one. Precisely. That's why Precisely. they do it. Okay, the video is on Islamic theology with no calls for violence. Have you never uploaded a video to YouTube once? Of course you haven't. Why do I ask that question? I guess it's ridiculous to consider when you have a staff of 275 people running your show. It's ridiculous to consult with any of them to see if any of them ever used YouTube. But yet somehow this podunk podcast network has an informed opinion on these topics. Somehow we managed to do the research. They can't take one of their 200 and nearly 300 staff members and have them mess around with YouTube. They can't read a couple of blogs about this. They couldn't watch literally any of the top creators' YouTube videos about this. Do not violate our content policies. That's what YouTube says. This, What these videos are, some of them are, seem simple, but the argument is they're gateway drugs You're right. to, You're right. to more um, serious videos. Gateway drugs. Using another failed analogy. So they're gateway drugs. These videos are gateway drugs to radicalization, and that's why there's an imperative that YouTube pull these down with impunity, because they're gateway drugs. And Alaki himself was a very complex character. <laughs> he was invited by Secretary of Defense Rumsfeld to speak to senior what? military officers what? at the Pentagon in the days immediately following 9-11. He was executed by President Obama using a drone. Never been charged with a crime, never been indicted, never been prosecuted, never been convicted, never even asked to come back here. He was killed when he was sitting at a, a, a cafe uh, in Yemen. Best 30 seconds of this entire clip. Best 30 seconds. That's Rumsfeld. Right. To, right. to more um, serious videos. And, and Alaki himself was a very complex character. It's like if it's like our narrative about him all of a sudden twisted and changed when it fit our overall strategy. He was invited by Secretary of Defense Rumsfeld to speak to senior military officers at the Pentagon in the days immediately following 9-11. He was executed by President Obama using a drone. Never been charged with a crime, never been indicted, never been prosecuted, never been convicted. Maybe never he knew something? to come back here. He was killed when he was sitting at a, a, a cafe uh, in Yemen. What about so his son, some Judge? Of his, stuff, his son was also killed. You're going to mention that? His son his boy was also killed 
completely unrelated. Is very violent. Others is others of his stuff is very theological. But you, you, like you say, Jenna, you have to read or in this case, listen between the lines. But you know, it's interesting. I'm thinking about the um, the letters that have been released in court from the Bin Laden compound, and in some of those letters written by Al Qaeda operatives, they talk about using Western policies to prop yes. themselves up. And so, what you're basically saying is a Western company, in many ways, based on their own business decisions, is allowing a certain part of speech that could be anti-Western. Yes, wow. you're right. You're right. Uh, and again, it's it's the company's decision. The First Amendment keeps the government out of the hey, business. Okay, but let me ask you one final question about the government. You, you, it was reading some of your work that American flag burning is not allowed when there's a problem, when it poses a threat to public safety. Is that correct? Generally. I think we, that's, I think we're good there. I think we're good. This next story is is really juicy. Uh, it, it's in fact, especially the language and the way things are framed. I, I I really almost put it in the main show. It's just so slow, but that's what the overtime is best for: slow but important information. So this is our this. I, I even like the. I even like the. I mean, the language is good. Cybercrime infrastructure dismantled. Man, I like all those words. Today, we announce the destruction of a massive criminal cyber infrastructure known as Avalanche. Avalanche was a complex and intricate network of computers that hosted cyber criminals throughout the world. Avalanche provided criminals a platform to distribute several strains of malicious software or malware to unsuspecting victims in nearly every country of the world, including many victims here in Western Pennsylvania. The malware that was trafficked on Avalanche included ransomware, which locks a computer's contents until a ransom is paid, and banking trojans, which steal sensitive banking credentials and enable cyber theft. The takedown of Avalanche was unprecedented in scope, scale, reach, and the level of cooperation among 40 countries. If you don't say so yourself. This is the first time that we have aimed to and achieved the destruction of a criminal cyber infrastructure while disrupting all of the malware systems that relied upon it to do harm. If Avalanche was the bridge that allowed malware to proliferate throughout the world, through this operation, we seized control of the bridge and imploded it. Hmm. Since this first-of-its-kind operation began on Wednesday, November 30th, we've successfully identified 250,000 infected computers in 189 different countries throughout the world. We calculate that 20,000 of those malware-infected computers are here in the United States. Avalanche is the next and most remarkable in a series of takedowns that were led by the Pittsburgh FBI in our office, such as Game Over Zeus, CryptoLocker, Bugat, Drydex, and Darkode. I'm reporting Through here from the bridge, guys. We've um, taken a quantum leap by dismantling more than 10 different pernicious malware systems. Uh-huh. Quantum leaps. So a quantum leap. Uh, yeah. I'm here for. I, I, I'm reporting live from the bridge. So listen, I know I'm I'm, I'm bridge authoritative. And I got to be honest with you. It turns out um, there's this quaint analogy of whack-a-mole, and that doesn't even that we need a much more extreme version of whack-a-mole because what you have done here <laughs> is what we call uh, see again. Like there's another analogy: a drop in the bucket. Again, does not sufficiently illustrate how little this matters. 
A drop in the bucket does not. I mean, you took down one type of of malware, and you took around. You took down the associated command and control servers and some of the criminals that were using it. I, that is good work. Good job. A quantum leap. A quantum leap. Different pernicious malware systems and the entire avalanche infrastructure. Our strategy was to coordinate legal and law enforcement actions. We obtained a federal court order here in Pittsburgh that authorizes us to redirect malicious communications away from victim computers and towards servers that are operated by the FBI and its partners. We refer to this as sinkholing. <laughs> Simultaneously, FBI and international law enforcement partners executed searches in multiple countries, and more than five people have been taken into custody Creepy. and could later be subject to extradition to the United States. Yikes. The criminal investigation is active. Avalanche harmed people and companies here in western Pennsylvania. Our victims include a government office in Allegheny County that was infected with the NIMAME ransom malware in January of 2015. This government office had to pay a ransom of six Bitcoin. This is about $1,400. Um, <laughs> like $1,400 is barely even the probably that is less time than it would cost you to hire your, your IT consultant, come in and restore the data from your crappy old backup tapes with your Veritas backup. $1,200? That's... <laughs> what? Did she, did she say that? $1,200? This is about $1,400. Oh, $1,400. <laughs> this? An international... An international cooperation between the FBI and countries around the world at the same time striking cyber criminals and you cite a $1,400 ransomware? You understand if they had suffered a drive failure and sent that to drive savers, for example, they could be paying over $15,000, right? So $1,400, that's adorable. This is about $1,400 in order to decrypt the contents of its own files and regain access to them. Actually, no, that's not quite accurate. They paid $1,400 for not having proper backups and quick methods to recover their data. That's what they paid $1,400 for. Because if they had good backups and they could recover quickly, they wouldn't even need to pay, even bother paying the ransom. So that's what they – see, it looks like they paid ransomware funds, but they actually paid IT negligent fees. That's what actually happened here. It's, it's hard for them to understand, though. I, I follow that. ...and regain access to them. A business in Newcastle was infected with Gosneem malware in February of 2016. Cyber criminals fraudulently took over its accounts and attempted seven unauthorized wire transfers exceeding $243,000. So they figured out their login credentials and then executed seven wire transfers? And then all of the built-in mechanisms in the baking industries that flag anything over $9,000 were automatically triggered and this was caught, so... A Carnegie company was the victim of Gosney malware that resulted in the wire transfer of $387,000 from a Pittsburgh-based bank to a bank in Bulgaria. The destruction of Avalanche was only possible because law enforcement in 40 nations around the world cooperated with each other and with the private sector. Can you see if you are a, if you are a sophisticated computer user, are, when you hear stories like this, does it does it make you start to realize that the simple arrogance and ignorance, and I don't mean to be derogative, 
But the fact that people don't simply understand the basic hygienes of computer maintenance and have poor passwords, CMSs with their nuts hanging out, easy to get, clicking on phishing links like Podesta did, using private servers that are improperly secured, and then script kitties that can buy malware off of forums using Litecoin can own their boxes using tools like SQL Map, Nmap, and Telnet. And then it involves, on the back end, on the, uh, on the authority side of things, it evolves into a multinational effort to crack down on cybercrime and dismantle cybercrime infrastructure. Every time they work together, it becomes a little bit easier, too. And they don't properly understand how, how, how simple the problem truly is. And the users that are being attacked don't understand how simple the problem truly is. And everybody's telling themselves it's a much harder problem, that it's an impossible problem, that we're just so insecure, that cyber criminals could take over the world from their basement. So the problem is so major. When in reality, if you just patched your shit and used unique passwords that are, you, that are good, like entire sentences everywhere you went, and you don't connect things that don't need to be connected to the internet, you, there, there's your cyber policy. There's Chris's three-point cyber policy. It's going to be huge. It's really simple. But instead, these people that don't even know what they're talking about have built this into this giant super bo- cyber boogeyman that now requires cooperation on an international scale. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I present you a very, very scary future. Cooperated with each other and with the private sector. We are particularly grateful to our German colleagues and their counterparts at Europol and Eurojust. That to me, that to me was that, that was a very interesting story for all of the reasons I just sort of interrupted throughout that clip. Uh, but probably more newsworthy, something that's probably going to have a bigger impact is the new revelation. And I believe this is about Julian Assange's first sexual aggression charge. It appears to be completely crap. And it was facilitated via secret collaboration between the U.S. and German intelligence agencies. Now, <laughs> there's a lot to this story. You know, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna punt one of these clips. Let's talk more about the collaboration between the in- intelligence agencies, and we'll deal with the Assange stuff. Uh, we'll keep that in the main show. WikiLeaks has released over 2,000 files exposing close ties between German and American spy agencies. The leak includes various documents from the German military intelligence and the NSA. Peter Oliver with that story tonight. Well, the details of the close ties lay out just not how the agencies operated, but also how they were being investigated. They show that the BND, the German side, uh, collected and collated information before passing it on towards the Americans. A few documents also show that while they were doing this, they were also attempting and in some cases able to work around the German government in order to make sure that Angela Merkel and others within her cabinet other senior officials didn't know that this was going on. Now, that to me is the really scary part. So who runs who? I mean, so you're telling me, remember, do you remember what came out when Merkel's cell phone was being monitored? What if? <laughs> That's just, you know what? I never, I never do this. But we're going to fry a little bacon here in the overtime. And this bacon comes right from Germany. 
What if the NSA spies on Angela Merkel's cell phone and then shares that information with the German intelligence agencies so that way they're not the ones doing the spying, just like we spy on – we do this We do the same trade uh, with the EU. They monitor – jeez, they, uh, I can't remember. I should go back to the Snowden leaks. I wish I had clips on this because it's kind of getting fuzzy now. But – there is a little bit of a there is a little bit of a tit for tat between the uh, between the nations who share intelligence where they'll they'll share the intelligence of a nation where perhaps it's against the laws for them to monitor. So say here in the states, here's this pesky constitutional issue. <clears throat> the NSA just keeps bumping into it. But if I'm visiting a site that say is under uh, the surveillance of the uh, the the German uh, intelligence, let's just go with German intelligence. So I go to a website in Germany. Uh, they could very legally and with with no constitutional violations share all of the session information they have about that visit to the server in Germany with the NSA. So it's a way for the NSA to watch what U.S. citizens are doing without directly watching. So it could be theoretically possible that if the NSA is monitoring Merkel's cell phone and they're working closely with German intelligence agencies, as these WikiLeaks reveal, it could be possible they could be sharing some of the highlights. So that way, Germans, the German intelligence agencies keeping an eye on Merkel. And, and that seems more likely when you hear that they're doing things that she simply was unaware of. And then you have to wonder who really runs the government. Is the shadow government you hear people talk about maybe a real thing? They were also attempting and in some cases able to work around the German government in order to make sure that Angela Merkel and others within her cabinet and other senior officials didn't know that this was going on. So not just Merkel, but her entire cabinet and other senior officials that are probably in some some communication with the cabinet. That's a big, big deal going on. And it doesn't make good reading for the German Foreign Intelligence Service. This was supposed to be all behind them. They turned over a new leaf. <laughs> uh, Gerhard Schroeder, who'd been in charge at the time, he stood down in July of this year. He was replaced by Bruno Kahl. In fact, the organization themselves, the agency themselves, are just about to move into brand new premises here in Berlin. But that new start is being dogged by these old accusations. And it seems that WikiLeaks still has many more releases that it can uh, put out that can still damage Germany's foreign intelligence service and show that it was in cooperation quite clearly with the American side. So I find it to be an interesting question that emerges when I watch this. If these agencies are working amongst each other without the oversight because the Obama administration claimed they learned about many of the things the NSA was doing via the news, that's their claim, and those leaks reveal that the government, the, uh, the German intelligence agency was attempting to do things that the German government outside of them would be unaware of. And they don't get replaced during elections, so they persist between leaders. And they communicate with each other directly. The question that comes out of that well, it's not just one question. It's There's a lot of questions. Are you comfortable with that? Are you comfortable with persistent, autonomous agencies that have black budgets, that communicate directly with each other, that have, obviously, interests that are probably fairly lined up? It's, it's a very kind of disturbing thing. Let's move on from this particular cyber. This is a creepy cyber. I, I, I don't like this. Let's go into something less creepy, like ISIS? Thank <laughs> you. 
Well, a new police report warning ISIS may soon launch more terror attacks in Europe using car bombs. The EU's police agency suggesting militants could target countries helping to fight the spread of the organization in Iraq and Syria. Greg Palcott is live in London with more. Greg? Hi, Jen. And just in time for this busy Christmas season, what? a stark new warning come from the, coming from the European Union's Police and Counter-Terror Agency. The authority Europol saying that militants from the ISIS terror group, quote, have the will and the capability to stage attacks in Europe in the near future. The report oh. uh, states that instead of going after government or military installations here, they could go after softer civilian targets. We've already seen these recent warnings about Christmas markets or shopping crowds being targeted, and uh, we've seen recent arrests linked to that threat as well. The study goes on to say that ISIS suffers losses on the battlefield in places like Iraq and Syria. It could become more dangerous domestically using the refugee flows coming from those hot zones to mask the flow of foreign fighters coming back home. Oh my and gosh. Yes, using techniques tried and tested on the battlefield and that includes car bombs. And Merry Christmas from the intelligence agencies everybody. Hope you have something to shit your pants about and keep you up at night while you're out there shopping. Hope you have something to stress about. And remember, this little dose of fear has been brought to you by the worldwide military industrial complex. Speaking of that worldwide complex, the U.S. embassies are a big part of that, and uh, this report touches a bit on their costs. You know how we love to talk about the money. The House committee says the price of new U.S. embassies will give you sticker shock. CBS News received the draft of a new report on wasteful spending at the State Department. It says the new embassy being built in London will rise beyond its $1 billion price tag. Congressman Jason Chaffetz says construction delays will make the cost of the project soar. Margaret Brennan's at the State Department with the numbers. Margaret, good morning. Good morning. Well, the investigation was led by that Utah Republican, Jason Chaffetz, who accuses the Obama administration of taking a risky approach to building embassies, taking too long and spending too much. Now, the next secretary of state will have to decide whether to build fortress like installations or architectural jewels. I don't mean to fry so much bacon in the overtime. Holy crap. It's a new world record. Uh, this bacon is just some local crap I got from the grocery store here in Arlington, Washington. You know why these embassies cost so much money? Oh, God, I can't believe I have to say this. This makes me sound like a loon. Because the intelligence agencies drive the cost up. Yep. Yeah. The intelligence agencies and U.S. embassies, they have a very special relationship, and they have very special needs at these embassies. That's all I'm going to say. I'm just going to say that. I'm just going to put that out there. I, just, I didn't mean to make the last. It's almost like if I could have intentionally strung all of these as some intelligence agencies are these crazy worldwide powers that are accountable to no one and uh, do not follow their own country's laws and have black budgets and they emerge in such strange ways. And if I could have concocted some great way to tie all these together ahead of time, I would have. But now looking at it, it's it really is something to think about. And if you just want some interesting reading to learn about how ambassadors and embassies and all of that are so often closely connected to the intelligence agency's goals. Or architectural jewels. America's striking new embassy in London comes with a sizable price tag. 
The facility, a steel-framed cube surrounded by glass, will soon exceed its more than $1 billion projection, according to House Oversight Committee Chair Jason Chaffetz. Needs more I feel Johnny very I've... misled by the State Department because if we aren't opening those doors in February, the cost of the U.S. taxpayer is about $100,000 a day to stay in a facility that we use to own. That facility, the existing U.S. Embassy, will be used to house our personnel until the new London Embassy is ready. A a six-month lease agreement, according to Chaffetz, accounts for a nearly $22 million cost increase. The House Oversight Committee's two-year investigation found quibbling over a glass wall at the embassy in Indonesia cost tens of millions of dollars in change order requests. So you get the idea. It is a total crap show. Uh, and I don't even, I don't even with this. I don't even. Uh, real quickly, uh, more troops are staying in Iraq. Oh, Defense Secretary Ash Carter warning that we need to have our U.S. troops stay in Iraq even after ISIS is defeated. We need it. Mr. Carter saying that is how the U.S. and our coalition partners can counter the foreign terrorists and fighters in the whole region. We need it. But the decision will now fall, of course, to a new administration. So what potentially could the Trump plan? So let's not talk about that. But I did think that was an interesting note. We need it. And of course, Trump's. Come on. Come on. Also, speaking of Merkel, just really quickly. Angela Merkel says the burqa should be banned in Germany. Oh. Quote, wherever it is legally possible. She also toughened her stance on refugees. And she made the statements while bidding for a fourth term as chancellor. Yeah, you guessed it. She's running for re-election. So she's saying shit she never wanted to say before. Isn't it interesting how all politicians bend? Now, let's get into the stuff that I've kind of been interested in talking to this entire segment. First of all, been really curious and really sort of awestruck at the Morning Joe these last few weeks. This next one is, they don't come out and say George Stephanopoulos, but they definitely infer. And it, they have been so on point. I don't really know, I don't really know what the hell's going on. They, I mean, they, I also have watched a lot of bullcrap this week, but this was good. Right. If you want to see how badly served the American people were by the media over 2016, just look at how the media responded the last two weeks to the few people that said Trump had a chance to win. They were called lapdogs. They were called uh, uh, unrealistic. Part of the inside they, they were. team. Who, who's the guy? There's this ABC correspondent on Saturday, that used, Sunday, that used to work for Bush. George. If you ever suggested, uh, Dowd, the Dowd guy, if you ever suggested that Donald Trump had a chance to win, he would fire off 10 nasty missives, and it really was that way around the entire Meanwhile, climate. Meanwhile, you have another ABC correspondent who was actually given to the Clinton Foundation. That's George. Who never receives any... It's just sort of interesting, the bias. I mean, seriously, well, think of all the correspondents and anchors who've gone to visit the Obamas at Martha's Vineyard, or all these little friendships that developed that no. they don't call friendships because they're objective. I'm just saying, it, it, people need to keep it real. So, so, I, so, now if to the editor of the New York Times, we're talking- something is in uh, something's in Joe's morning coffee. Something. Speaking of uh, news anchors on ABC. So why was the newly elected president of the United States going after ABC's Martha Raddatz? We talked about the Cincinnati rally earlier in the show. Here's Donald Trump. Uh, How about when a major anchor <laughs> Wait a minute, hold on. going after hold ABC's on, was Martha that? Raddatz? We talked about the Cincinnati rally earlier in the show. Here's Donald Trump. Uh, How of- about when a major anchor... <laughs> Who hosted a debate 
started crying when she realized that we won. How about tears? No, tell me this isn't true. Well, here's the context, and we'll show it to you. It was late on election night, and Martha Raddatz, ABC correspondent and anchor, who spent a lot of time in war zones with the military, was quoting Tim Kaine as saying that his own son uh, was serving in the military, and he, Kaine, uh, wouldn't trust Donald Trump as commander-in-chief. And then she added this, so let's play it for the viewers. That's a pretty extraordinary thing to say. Uh, if you have a son in the Marine Corps and that you don't trust the commander-in-chief. The people in the military defend the Constitution. We're back with the panel. Aaron McPike, uh, what do you make of Donald Trump seizing on that moment? And I don't really give a crap. If you give a crap, you can watch it in the overtime. I just thought that was interesting. So that is getting a lot of play on print media this week. Uh, there's also a clip in here about Trump backing off the Muslim ban, but I want to jump ahead and go to another show me the money. Now a new report by the Washington Post claiming senior Pentagon officials suppressed a study documenting a whopping $125 billion in waste. <laughs> uh, the fear reportedly was that Congress would use the findings to cut the defense budget. Of course. National Security Correspondent Jennifer Griffin at the Pentagon there for more on this. What did you find out, Jennifer? Well, Bill, the savings found in the report would represent a quarter of the defense budget, enough to pay for 50 army brigades or 10 aircraft carrier strike groups. Jeez, la frickin' wheeze. Unbelievable. Actually, it kind of is. It's Nancy Pelosi in denial of the house. <laughs> worthy leader fresh off fighting back a serious challenge to her leadership post. Pelosi has been reelected. She says that she doesn't think her party wants to change course. This, this is actually kind of a big deal. Uh, not that statement. Um, the, sta the, the fact that she was reelected, I think, puts her as sort of the longest running leader. Uh, I'm not positive on that statement, but I think if I remember, um, you'd have to double check. But <laughs> she is so out of touch. I'm kind of shocked she did win. I, it's really part of what's wrong with America's democracy. Despite the beating Democrats have taken at the polls over and over and over again. Watch Nancy. You tell Democrats who want a new direction and, and then go to you. What are you going to do differently? Well, I don't think that people want a new direction. Our values unify us and our values are about supporting America's working families. That is one that everyone is in agreement on. What we want is a better connection of our message uh, to, uh, to working families in our country. And that clearly in the in the election showed that that message wasn't coming through. So they just weren't getting the message through. That's the problem. That's the problem. They just weren't getting the message through. You know, fake news, guys. Fake news. Okay. So it's interesting, this uh, problem of, uh, of uh, hmm, this, this problem of Nancy Pelosi seeming to be so out of touch yet continuing to get reelected. Uh, I feel like we could almost do an entire special on that. I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts. Leave me a comment if you're still this far. Into the overtime. I want to shift gears now and move to another topic. We talked about Pizzagate in the main show, and uh, there has been lots of different stories about pedophile rings in D.C. and in different institutions of the government. And this story really gives you an idea of how instinctually even the military acts and moves to suppress any stories or information about this kind of thing. All right, welcome back to Fox and Friends. Well, apparently the Clinton defense actually has worked. One U.S. Marine declaring... Oh, yeah, and this. Holy crap, I, I forgot because this, this is not even the part that's important, but it's unbelievable. 
Clinton set precedents. Hillary set unba. Hold on. This is I forgot about this because the other part's so important. This is this is incredible. One U.S. Marine declaring victory this morning after he was charged with being careless with sensitive national information. His defense attorney argued what Hillary did was worse and charging his client would be a clear double standard. So a judge ruled a ruling Major Jason Bresler can remain in the Marines. His attorney, Michael Bowe, is here to react. And Michael, congratulations. You've been telling us about this story all along the way. Can you set it up for us? Sure. Um, there was a, uh, uh, an Afghan, corrupt Afghan police chief who was on a base um, who brought chai boys, which are basically sex slaves, onto the base, who then murdered a Marine, Lance Corporal Greg Buckley, whose family is here in New York. Um, the family was trying to get information about that, uh, how that happened. And Major Bresler had previously, two years prior, uh, removed that chief from a position in a different place. He said he knew he was a sex slave. He knew he was abusing bad boys. He knew, they, he knew, they he, knew he was a bad guy. They shouldn't have put him back in that spot. And the family was being stonewalled in terms of trying to get information about what happened. They went to their congressman, Peter King, here in New York. Uh, he was also the congressman for Major Bresler. Major Bresler had information about this is interesting peter king we've covered him before we've covered his criticism of ted cruz and it's it sounds like once this guy went to peter king peter king instead of helping him out ratted him out but that he also went to his congressman and in our statutes uh every service member has a statutory protected right to talk to their congressman they don't have many rights right they have very restricted rights but one of their important rights is they have a right to talk to their congressman about anything without right. being retaliated against he did that right and then he got retaliated against and they, they convened a board of inquiry which is a trial basically to discharge him from the marine corps but what, why would he be retaliated against he was retaliated against he made news because this is a, this was a this was a a, a story uh, the whole story about uh, the our partners in uh, Afghanistan being engaged in this bakabazi where they keep these young boys as basically sex slaves was sort of a notorious secret. And the, uh, didn't want, the military didn't want this out, so they go after him. They kick him out. They, they kick him out after a, what we believe was a kangaroo court trial. Um, and then they, didn't, they, didn't, they, they had a recommendation to kick him out. We went to court to stay it. It was stayed. Um, and then yesterday, the federal judge in the Eastern District of New York out on Long Island uh, through the proceeding out because he basically said that he had been tried, right. in layman's terms, he had been deprived of a fair trial because they withheld all the critical documents he needed to show that he had been retaliated against. How do you compare what he did to what Hillary Clinton did? How are they, how do you think that they compare? Because the information I, I don't about think the bad he, guy was, was it, they, he they an email? He sent an email and he had, when he left, when he was originally in Afghanistan, the Marine Corps didn't have uh, military computer for them to use, so they told him to use their own computer. Right. On his computer, <laughs> oh, when he left, you do a little turnover. It's called a turnover file. It's so you're a file for your successor. When he left, he inadvertently left that on his computer. His computer then was, and this was in his at his yeah, home. He- the Hillary Clinton defense. But what I think is also interesting is the subtext there about how instinctually they cover up a pedophile story, and it's disgusting. Ugh. You know what else is would. This would be so disgusting. Imagine you get your all super secured, nice webcams, whatever you want, or even the cheap cloud service ones that are easy to hack. But you get these new security cameras in your place. You're pretty happy with it. It even sends you uh, push notifications when it detects motion. You're sitting at work and you get a push notification. Motion detected. In the master bedroom. What the hell? 
motion in the master bedroom. What's going on? My phone was buzzing at lunch and said that there was noise detected in uh, my bedroom, which was kind of unusual. I opened up the, um, the app on my phone and sure enough, there were some, you know, unexpected people in the shot. One of them was his landlord, Carlos Quijada. The other person, he still doesn't know. But what Logan saw in the video was the two having sex on he and his wife's bed. What? I didn't really know what to think at first. It was kind of disbelief. I had to quit the quit the app and then <laughs> open it back up again to make sure I wasn't, like, seeing things. And then he had to break the disturbing news to his wife. I was like... Oh, God. Oh, no. Gross. Like, is that my bed? Oh, oh, no, that's my room. And I was like, oh, no, no. So I called him. I was like, what do we do? And he's like, I think we have to move. And I was like, he's breaking and entering. I have to call the cops. Which is exactly... All right. All right. That's... I mean, could you imagine? <laughs> that's the worst. And why your bedroom? You're the landlord. Why that one? Was Maybe they had a really nice mattress. And this episode is brought to you by Casper. No, I'm kidding. Actually, patreon.com slash filter. What's up? So Amazon's figured out a way to make grocery stores better. Apparently, it's by removing all the humans. Are you happy, Angie? Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> we made it. We made it. We welcome you back. It is time for our big board, and we're breaking down more of the morning's top stories. Let's start with that. Hey, it's Becky Worley. Speaking of Casper and Twit, that's ironic. By Amazon that could revolutionize the way we shop. The retail giant unveiling Amazon Go, the first Go ever Becky. checkout Go free Go grocery Becky. store, allowing that's right. customers to walk in, shop, and just walk out. Yeah. Becky Worley joining us outside their pilot store in Seattle. So Seattle, tell us how this works, town. Becky. Yeah, it sounds like it would work great. It would probably mean that my trip to the grocery store yesterday, the traditional grocery store, would have taken about seven and a half minutes less. That's because we're talking about buying food with no lines, no checkouts. This is the prototype store here in Seattle. It's not open to the public yet. But the idea is that you would walk through these doors, your phone would scan you in as you walk in, and then you just put all your items in your bag. And is this an Amazon native ad? Have you noticed how CBS and ABC seem to do this all the time? But what do you think about this? The automated grocery store, is that actually an improvement? Is that really a good thing? I would imagine there'd have to be some staff in there. Like they show some people uh, stocking and they show some folks in the deli. Uh, all right. While we're talking about ridiculous news, this is my favorite one. This went, this went international. It came from Australia and it got played all over. And wait until you see this one. Uh-huh. An Australian man rushes to help a dog being held in a headlock by a kangaroo. Huh. <laughs> okay. The guy seen here is able to help the dog get away before going all rocky on the kangaroo, punching it in the face. The animal stands there, stunned for a second or two before <laughs> hopping off. That video has already been viewed more than three million times. Look at that right there. It's kind of funny to watch. Well, you know, uh, I guess we just got back from Australia. Yeah. And he said these kangaroos are everywhere and you're told yeah those things are legit really- you don't mess with the you don't mess with the kangaroos that is a, that is a real thing uh, I have been told I have been told and then my favorite story of the week it makes me think of my co-host from the TechSnap program Mr. Alan Jude this is a real gem and of course what are Canadians famous for sorry 
Sorry. Police Department in Canada has officially apologized to Nickelback for threatening to make drunk drivers listen to their songs. They were hoping Nickelback's music would be an extra deterrent. Yeah, that's that's some good stuff right there. But they now say bullying in any form is wrong. I like Nickelback. Bullying in any form. So so saying you're going to torture people by playing Nickelback is officially bullying, according to the Canadian. Well, I don't know which police. Maybe just all of them. That's that all of that. Everything about that story, generalizing all of the Canadian police as one thing. And the fact that they were going to threaten to torture to torture with Nickelback and then apologizing for it. It's all gold. You know what else is gold? You are. Patreon.com slash unfiltered. Thank you for supporting this show. And we'll see you right back here next week.